And we are on air for Fan for Racing's NASCAR Race Review with Hot Topics Sound Off. And uh, we'll start Hot Topics tonight at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Joining me for our Race Review segment is our co-host for tonight, Sal Sagala. Welcome to the show, Sal. Well, thank you, Sharon. Yeah, really looking forward to this show here tonight. Uh, we've, we're anticipating the racing at the L.A. Coliseum, and it's happened now. I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But before we do that, I'm going to give you an overview of tonight. We're going to give a few updates here on the ARCA, the Truck Series, and Xfinity Series, uh, just to make sure everybody knows when those next races are. Uh, we're going to talk about some short track racing and maybe a few other series, uh, but we'll get some short track talk in here. And then, uh, Sal, you were at the L.A. Coliseum, so we're going to give you a few minutes to talk about your experience there, and then we're going to talk, uh, set up our guest that's coming on at 9 p.m. Eastern tonight, uh, Tommy Mason from MTV, not MTV, I'm talking about Mad TV and Spears Racing TV. Uh, so we'll talk to Tommy Mason, Mason at the top of the hour, and then we'll take uh, the last 15 minutes to talk about Big Clash at the Coliseum. Uh, really excited about that race and can't wait to talk to you about it um, and, and do a kind of a review of what happened there this weekend. Uh, 9.30, as I said before, is our Hot Topics sound off, and tonight we're going to have uh, Jay Huseman, we'll have Andy Lasky, and Brian Everly is joining us tonight for our Hot Topics conversation. So uh, that should be uh, a fun conversation tonight as well. So with that, uh, we'll get into the Arca Menard series. Um, the Arca West and the Sioux Chief Showdown, their next event isn't until March 11th at Phoenix. So that's all I'm going to say about that because it's in March. I'm more concerned about those races that are coming up in the next few uh, days, and that is the Arca Menard series and the Arca East uh, Arca East is going to be racing the Race to Stop Suicide 200 presented by Place of Hope at New Smyrna Speedway on February the 15th. The race starts at 7.40 p.m. Eastern Time at Flow Sport Racing. So we've been encouraging everybody to kind of uh, invest in that for just a little, $12 and some change every month. You can get a whole lot of short track racing, including the Arctic East and West, at Float Racing. So uh, check out the app. It's available on Roku and all kinds of ways. So you definitely want to check that out. Also, the Lucas Oil 200, driven by General Tire, uh, will be starting at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, February the 19th, at Daytona International Speedway, and that race will be broadcast on Fox Sports 1. So uh, definitely mark your calendars uh, for those races. Uh, they're do-not-miss events, right, Sal? Oh, yes, definitely going to be, uh, especially with the racing season getting started. Um, you know, you want, you know, you want to tune in and, uh, and see what our <laughs> probably best option be to to pay to pay for flow for the year it's cheaper i know it's i know it sounds kind of expensive 
But um, if you if you want to see a lot of racing and all kinds of racing, um, actually flow is the place you want to um, you want to get you want to get a subscription for it right away. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Also, the next race for the Truck Series uh, is uh, at Daytona International Speedway Friday, February the 18th at 7:30 p.m. Eastern. That also is going to be televised on Fox Sports One. And uh, practice and qualifying is back, so they'll have a practice session on Thursday, qualifying on Friday, starting at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, so that's uh, noteworthy for everybody. Uh, again, just wanting to make sure everybody's got the info. And then beat it's What's for Dinner 300 uh, in the Xfinity Series at Daytona is Saturday, February 19th at 5 p.m. Eastern. They also have practice and qualifying on Friday, practice on Friday, qualifying on Saturday, and again, it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. So mark your calendars now for those events. Uh, Again, these are the season openers for all three of NASCAR series as well as the Arkham Menard series uh, and the East. So uh, super excited for that, but now now, we want to get into some short track racing, and I believe in addition to being at the L.A. Coliseum, you were also at Irwindale this weekend. Is that right? Yes, I was out there for the, actually for the third annual um, Spears SRL Southwest Tour All-Star Showdown. Um, this is a, a pickup from back when it used to be the Invitational all-Star Showdown back in when the track like first opened in early 2000. So um, yeah, and brought the they went and brought it back and um, this is third one and it was uh, I'll tell you it was one heck of a night of uh, of uh, short track racing. Yeah, they're kind of labeling it as the second All-Star Showdown. Uh, but Derek Thorne, who we had on our show on January the 24th, if you want to go back and listen to the podcast. Uh, he actually won that race, uh, and it was quite a battle, I guess, between Preston Peltier and Derek Thorne, so. Yes, it was until the halfway break, and then, I don't know, uh, 15, 20 laps into the halfway break, um, Preston made a mistake and ended up in the wall and uh, destroyed his car yeah. for the night. So Derek, Derek basically went and cruised on to uh, – to his second um, showdown victory. He won the first one. Last year, Preston Peltier won it. And um, this year, Derek won it. But it was, it was, it was, um, it was setting up to be a really good battle at the end. Um, there are some things that are being played out in the first half of the race. Uh, Derek and, and uh, Preston, you know, are going back and forth, you know, and just set up a strategy, you know, on how they're going to finish. And uh, unfortunately, it did play out that way. But I know a lot of the fans, and you know, were hoping you know they it would have because it was going to be. I'll tell you, it was going to be one heck of a, a great battle. Um, you know, at the end, and uh, you know, it was two of the best. Um, you know, two of the best short track racers. You know, from the West Coast, were going to battle it out, and it was going to be a. It was going to be a heck of a battle, but unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. Yes, uh, and I know uh, everybody was disappointed about that. Uh, and I know they have a lot of respect for each other, so it was really uh, great racing, uh, bumper to bumper and uh, side to side and, and everything else. Uh, but just to kind of give you a feel for uh, how important some of these 
short track races are. Uh, Derek Thorne was in this race, of course, but Jeremy Doss, you've got Wiley Earps was there. Uh, he's racing in the uh, uh, Xfinity Series Xfinity again this series, year. Yeah. yeah, in the Xfinity Series this year. Uh, and some other names that we hear a lot uh, about. Uh, you've got uh, Buddy Shepard was in that race. Uh, Dustin Ash, Preston Peltier, we talked about him. And Dylan Lupton, uh, we're going to get Dylan back because I think he's going to be racing yeah, some yeah. trucks this year. Yeah, he's 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 got some stuff lined up. And then also uh, Jake Finch from uh, Phoenix Racing yeah. was also out there on uh, on on this weekend racing. And um, it was kind of neat to see you see the younger drivers, you know that you know that come from you know the you know the big money teams. And um, Jake spent a lot. Derek pitted next door to Derek, and Jake spent a lot of time, uh, you know, with Derek, you know, filling him out, you know, getting tips and stuff like that. And and it's, and it's neat. It was really neat to see Derek take the time to talk to him, you know, not just, you know, he yeah. knew he was going to be racing against him. But, you know, still Derek, you know, took the time, you know, to um, talk with them, you know. And, you know, whatever they talked about, I don't know because that was between them. But I'm sure a lot of it was how to get around the track. This was a new track for Jake. And, um, you know, Derek was uh, more than helpful, you know, as far as, you know, helping him, you know, giving him pointers and, you know, and, and he spent a lot of time with them, so it was it was neat to see, you know, Derek always always giving back to the sport. You know, he wants he loves to win, but you know what, he loves the competition, you know what and, and um you know, and yeah. so it was it was really neat, you know, to see that, that um that camaraderie the camaraderie between the two, you know, between the you know, the veteran driver and the and the up and the you know, up and coming driver. Absolutely. Uh, I saw another familiar name uh, in one of the short track races this weekend, the Icebreaker at Florence Motor Speedway. And uh, guess who won that race? I, you know, it's, I didn't even, I didn't even catch it. And it's funny because I spent some time with Matt Weaver. He was at Irondale, and I spent some time with him at the Clash. And I forgot, I totally forgot to ask him how the icebreaker went because he's the one that, you know, that covers all this, all this stuff. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what, it was Josh Berry from the Xfinity Series. Uh, Florence Motor Speedway is in South Carolina, and uh, it's part of uh, the NASCAR Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Touring Series. And uh, uh, so the last time he won a race, the last time Josh Berry won a race, Affluence Motor Speedway is when he earned his very first NASCAR Xfinity Series race a week later at Martinsville Speedway. So uh, that's uh, not good news for the competition uh, with Josh Berry coming home with another win at Florence Motor Speedway this weekend in the Icebreakers. So that was pretty exciting to see as well. Well, yeah, Josh Berry is, uh, he's, uh, I'll tell you, he's, um, he's a really tough competitor and, um, you know, a lot of respect. Um, he's won a lot of races, you know, and um, he's really earned his way, you know, up the, um, you know, up the NASCAR ladder. Right. This is an example of another one of those races uh, that fans can watch on Flow Sport Racing, or Flow Racing, I should say, um, because uh, they, they uh, carry these kind of races uh, every week, uh, part of the NASCAR uh, 
uh, weekly touring series. So it's really kind of cool to see that and uh, to see that some of these stars from the Xfinity series, uh, they're going to these short tracks when they're not racing, and uh, it's really fun to see that. Yes, it is, Sharon. It's, it's awesome. I mean, there's – yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Can you, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Sal, I hear you. I don't know what happened there. I heard you for I a minute. Know, now a I don't you. Yeah, I'm having huh? technical difficulties with this phone. I'm having technical difficulties with my iPhone. Oh, okay. I'm probably going to end up having to buy a new one as much as I don't want to. Okay. Uh, so that was that was one of the races that I wanted to make sure we highlighted. Uh, NASCAR has a website, uh, nascar.com. Uh, if you click on uh, NASCAR Roots, you can find out what's happening in a lot of the series, uh, the weekly touring series, the Arthur Menard series, the Whalen uh, Modified series, the Pinty series, uh, the Peak uh, series in Mexico, um, and the Advanced Auto Parts. Uh, they have a lot of uh, racing coverage that they have here. And if you're looking for the schedules, they have all the schedules that are up for the Whelan Euro series. Uh, and all the other series that I talked about, uh, you definitely want to check that out uh, so that you can stay up to date with everything that's going on in all of these series. I know Wheel and Modified has a race coming up on um, at New Smyrna as part of that Asphalt World Series of Asphalt Racing on Saturday, February the 12th. So that's going to be a do-not-miss event. Uh, we talked about this a little bit with, with uh, Jay, uh, that asphalt world series, uh, that world series of asphalt racing at uh, uh, New Smyrna Speedway is huge. It's like seven or nine days of nonstop racing uh, out there at that track, and uh, it's it's really a huge event. Though, and because it's so close to when things are happening at Daytona. Some of the NASCAR Cup drivers, Xfinity Series drivers, Truck Series drivers, they all go out there and watch these races. So uh, definitely uh, check out that schedule and uh, be a part of that. Yeah, that's that's kind of what we were hoping for, you know, on Saturday, you know, at Orindale, you know, is that some of the Cup drivers, you know, would have made the, you know, would have made the trip over oh, there, you yeah. know, to see, you know, some of the racing. But I, I think with them ending so late, and then um yeah, you know everything true. else that went on everything else that went on with their schedules you know their um you know they have their sponsorship you know things they have to take care of and stuff like that so i i think that's one of the reasons you know why we didn't see you know any any of them you know stop on by uh again this is uh, the new smyrna visitors bureau 200 february the 12th that's saturday and uh Again, it's going to be really huge. It's going to be available live on Flow Sport. There will be a tape delay on USA. It hasn't been announced exactly what time yet. Uh, but uh, New Smyrna Speedway is a half-mile paved oval, and it's a lot of fun. That race starts at 7 p.m. E- 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, uh, just a, a preview of some exciting racing that's uh, also coming up there. 
Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be exciting. It's gonna be an exciting season, especially for I think I think a lot of our short tracks. You know, they're um, you know vamping up. You know, uh, you know um, sponsors are putting up you know more money you know, to you know make the price funds bigger. You know, and hopefully that'll that'll um, also pick up the car counts a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and, and like I say, with all the racing that's taking place at Miss Myrna that week, uh, this is just one of the events that are happening. Uh, and, and you want to go to New Smyrna, New Smyrna Speedway.org, and uh, that's where you'll find out the complete schedule of everything that's happening throughout the week. And if you're anywhere near New Smyrna Speedway, you want to get out there to the racetrack during that week. Okay. I'll tell you, it's a very, Anything... very nice facility. Ahead, it's a very nice facility. I did a, I went out there one year for the Governor's Cup, and it was really, really, I mean, I was really impressed with the, with the track and everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, also, this isn't a short track, but I just want to point out a, a great article that they put out on the IMSA website. Uh, they, they, they're featuring a driver, A.J. Muss, uh, that went from being an Olympic snowboarder in the 2018 Winter Olympics to now he's an IMSA race car driver. So they do a nice feature on him. And uh, I think uh, fans will want to definitely tune in for that. But uh, the next race for them is coming up in March, uh, the Sebring race uh, for the IMSA series as well. But uh, go check out that article about the Olympic snowboarder uh, that is now an IMSA race, uh, I think, for some interesting reading. There you go. See, you you never know who's uh, you never know who's <laughs> going to jump over into into our sport. You know, um, exactly. It's just, it's, it's just it's just amazing some of the some of the things that are going on out there these days. Absolutely. Now, Sal, you were at the LA Coliseum, uh, the clash that took place at the LA Coliseum, <clears throat> and uh, I, I really want to uh, get your thoughts. Uh, being out there, uh, I listened to Sirius XM radio today, and it just seems like there were a few complaints about a few little things, but I will tell you overwhelmingly, the response that I heard on Sirius XM was very, very positive. Oh yeah, it was. It, it was. Uh, how do you say it? It was. I. I think. I think NASCAR knocked it out of the park with this race. They they went above and beyond, um, you know, what uh, I think a lot of fans' expectations. I mean, a lot of fans expected it, but what really happened out there is really nothing that you could have really thought imaginable. Um, I know a lot of people are saying it was going to be a wreck fest, it was going to be this, it was going to be that. And, you know, a lot of fans are saying this isn't racing and why are they doing this and that. But you know what? NASCAR went out of the box with this and I'll tell you they um this is uh I think this is the future part of the future of of, of NASCAR. I mean there was a lot of good reviews from the fans. The the drivers themselves liked it. Um any anytime you go to race and 
they have to qualify. You see some big names that didn't make it. Kurt Busch, Eric Almirola, Brad Keselowski, you know, just to name a few, um, you know, did make, did make the show, you know, and, and well, it was good. It was good that, you know, that they, you know, that they didn't make it, you know, I mean, and then you had other guys that made it. Corey LaHoy made it, you know, um, Cole Custer got in, you know, um, yes. You know, the whole setup of just with the heat races, you know, the the last chance qualifiers, you know what, it made for a, a good, you know, a good mix. And, you know, the drivers had to race, they had to race hard to get in. There was a time when Kevin Harvick wasn't even in, you know, um, yep. you know, and, and then I guess uh, Martin Truex was the only one that got the, the last, that last provisional or else he wouldn't have been in either. But um, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, the, it, it was between the heat race and the and the else and the last chance qualifier. It was it was exciting. The fans were yelling, and screaming the whole time. Um, it was loud, and you know what? And it was some good racing. I mean, you know, nobody nobody got out of hand. There was no fights. Um, mm-hmm. The drivers drove hard. They pushed. They bumped. Well, Ryan Blaney threw a surprise. I think at one point. Yeah, but I mean, other than that, I mean, you know, wasn't you know. Everybody thought, you know, with the short track, it was going to be like uh, Martins, Martinsville or like uh, Bristol. You know, there's going to be fights after, you know, and, you know, and, and it's just <clears throat> very well put on. Um, yeah, there are some things that I, I, I think they, that they could seriously change. Um, well, I tell you what, I don't you know, do this very often, but today I did put out a tweet to uh, Ben Kennedy. I think he was the driving force behind this. And it's, it was out-of-the-box thinking. Uh, and uh, I really congratulated him on a job well done uh, at the L.A. Coliseum. Uh, it's all been positive. And I think more out-of-the-box thinking is going to translate to some of the other racing venues that we go to, like the halftime entertainment um, uh, you know, the DJ that was entertaining fans throughout the the uh, day and everything. I, I thought I thought it was a great success, but I, don't you see some of those things carrying over to other venues? You know, I could kind of see it. The halftime thing, I doubt that'll happen at other venues because the only reason they did was because they didn't have live pit stops. So basically, mm-hmm. they they came in, and you know what? People that follow short track racing, you really got to look at the way that the the way the format was set up, it was set up like short track race. You know, they raced, oh, you know, yeah. half the race. They came in, they did, they did a control pit stop, which is what they do at the Snowball Derby now. You know, they come in, you know, you come in, you, you know, whatever adjustments they allow, whether it be tires, fuel, you know, chassis adjustments, whatever. You know, then they give them so much time, five, ten minutes, 15 minutes, you know, to do their adjustments. They blow a horn, mm-hmm. it's okay. They let the drivers know, okay, you got two minutes, you got one minute, back to, you know, you got to be in your car ready to go. And then when you start the race back, you start where you came in, you know, so nobody mm-hmm. loses a position. Mm-hmm. So you don't have the pit crews over there, you know, trying to hurry up and rush, you know, and miss something, which is what we had at the All-Star Showdown on Saturday. We had a halfway break at 100 laps, you know, then we took a halfway break, you know, and, and you know, they came in and, you know, made all the adjustments with the SRL. Same thing at the Snowball Derby, you know. Um, I think that was great, you know. And, you know, to see, you know, and then, you know, then they come out, you know, and they, they finish the race, you know. So, you know, that, that, it was you a know, nice that was, that was a, of, yeah. 
it yeah, was a it nice was. mix you know of the old that, and the new. Because you had, yes, that's you know, grassroots you know, racing, the brand new car. Yeah, and, and that's how short tracks are run. They could have probably done away with the with the ice cube, you know, you know, playing the the culture, you know, <laughs> while they, you know, I mean, you know, I, I've yet to see a track that that does that, you know, that has a concert. But then, like I said, they're thinking out of the box. You know what? What are the fans going to do? Exactly. You know, while while we do these control pit stops, you know, hey, let's give them some music. You know, let's give them one of LA's, you know, own you know, rap stars, you know, which was good. I mean, you know, you know, I mean, it is what it is. But um, it definitely was a, you know, a different look for NASCAR. But at the same time, it, it brought back some of the tradition of that short track racing. I, I love that it was a nice blending of the new car, the next generation car, with the grassroots racing that fans have been craving for so long. Uh, the more of the traditional grassroots type racing, so I thought it was a great blend and a, a huge success. Oh yeah, the heat races, the LCQ race. I mean, that was icing yeah. on the cake right there. You know, you know they went out, they qualified. If you didn't qualify, you know, then you went to a, your heat race. You know, if you didn't make it to the heat race, you know, you got a, a LCQ race last chance qualifier. If you don't make it, then you're out. You know, don't matter who you are. Yep. You know, yep. you're out. You exactly know, and, right. You know what? So you you this you had to seriously race your way in. You know, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a, you know, well, you know, Kurt Busch's new team. You know, we're gonna, you know, you know, he's mm-hmm. gonna get a, you know, one of fifteen provisionals we're gonna give out. No, we're gonna have a set yep. field, and this way you're gonna qualify. This way you're gonna get in. You know, and and they and they stuck to it. You know, and yeah. I, and, and, that, and that's how short track happy. racing. Yeah, oh, even yeah, the drivers seem pretty racing. happy. That's okay, Sal, we're running out of time, ran. so I gotta I gotta move on here. But we will come back to the LA the clash at the LA Coliseum uh once we uh do our interview with our guest. Let's talk about who our next guest is and uh what he does. Our next guest is Tommy Mason. Actually it's Tommy Mason and Jeffrey Jeffrey Best, but they're um they're known around the country as low budget T V. I'm sure it's all two you people track sound? guys. Yeah, it's, it's it's two people, but you know, they're, they've been friends since they were. I think they were born friends. They're probably okay. born in the same so hospital. It's, Jeff, probably, it's it's uh, Tommy Mason, and who's the other gentleman that's coming on? Oh no, it's just going to be Tommy Mason coming on, but it's Jeffrey Best. Oh, Jeffrey Best so is the other person that works with him. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, they're the ones that got it started. Years and years ago when they were kids playing around at Saga Speedway with the microphone and a and a, and a camera and you know, and, and it, it just it bloomed into what they are today, which is low budget T V, Spears Racing T V. Um uh Tommy works with uh Mav T V on on some of their productions and stuff like that. Um it's really neat to see the transition they made from being kids running the around garage. the track, <laughs> the garage area, the pit area to where they are now, you know, to be really respected, you know, on a lot of tracks, you know, they, they hire them to come out. So, I mean, they, they do travel, 
um, they've been all over the country, you know, filming these races, you know, and um, it's funny because not this Sunday just passed, not yesterday, but last Sunday we had a, we had a dinner and Tommy went to it. It was a luncheon for like, you know, just uh, one of the tire guys, Mikey Mulder. We've had him on the show before. Mm-hmm. He does a luncheon once a year around Christmas and Tommy showed up and I kind of threw the thing out of Tommy. I said, man, I said, pretty soon I said, Flow TV is going to buy your your production the way they bought everybody else out. You know, I said, so I said, so get ready for that, for that seven-figure paycheck. I said, and, and when you get it, remember me. I'm, I'm one of your friends. We're going to have you on our show. And I said, so. Well, this <laughs> sounds lot, like a real success of, story, Sal. Oh, you know, somebody. You know what? <clears throat> Wait, wait till you hear, wait till you hear the story from him. It, you would, don't ever think that there is not a life as a kid. And then, I mean, their success story is, it's Sharon, it is one of a kind, one of a kind. It's amazing. It's amazing what they do. It's amazing the, the production they put out. It, it, it's amazing when you, if you ever watch Spears TV and watch the racing, You've seen Tommy and Jeffrey, you know, in action. And um, to think how they started, where they started. They, they they used to have a radio show that they would film. I think, I don't know if it was in Tommy's basement or if they did it at the track at Orangeville Speedway. But they had a one-speak radio show, too. I'll tell you what, Sal. He's here. So why don't you go ahead and bring him oh. I've got him in the queue. He's, he's ready to go and uh, do the introductions and let's hear this story. It sounds fascinating. Oh, it is. And you know what, with that, you know what, our next guest is Tommy Mason. Um, I should have, I, I should have told him to bring Jeffrey. They both want to talk, but then we would need a probably two or three hour show, you know, to get everything <laughs> in. But um, I'll tell you, low budget TV, um, Spears racing TV, math TV, um, traveling around the country, the way they started, I'll tell you, this amazing story. Welcome to the show, Tommy. Hey, hey, good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, yeah, we had to have you on. I mean, even before we had talked, you know, last week, you know, about getting you on, you know, a couple of weeks, I mean, your story is, is you got, yours and Jeffrey's story is just, is just it's amazing. I was, me and Cheryl were talking about it. And I talked to, the, you know, about a lot of people that I know, you know, and, and I mean, anytime you mention Tommy and Jeffrey, everything automatically clicks, low budget TV, um, Spears Racing TV. And, and uh, I mean, your guys' story is just, it, it's amazing from before you started to where you guys are at today. Well, that's the fun thing is for those that don't know, um, it really started as a joke. And we can still argue it could be still today. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, how how it basically started was I had a, a cheap video camera that I was opened up as a Christmas present from my parents. Uh, this was in 2005, maybe 2006. So uh, it's been over 15 years now. And uh, we I opened up this video camera, and while I was clearing out, you know, some junk in the in the living room and the the bedroom of mine, I found a toy microphone. And that was the idea. I was like, wait a minute, we could do something here. And so we went out to Willow Springs on a 
on a on a regular track day, I think there might have been some sort of stock cars on the road course. And we went out there to pretend to be ESPN Speed World. And we took this fake microphone and recorded it with a cheap video camera and just wanted to see how the drivers would react. We didn't know anybody. They didn't know us. And they they would answer our questions as if we were Bob Jenkins and Benny Parsons. They took it so serious. <laughs> And we could not, you know, stop laughing about it. And so we then took it to our home track, Irwindale Speedway, which all the drivers do know who we were, and we knew them. And we did the exact same thing, and everybody thought it was great. Everybody loved it. And then from there, that's kind of where the snowball effect happens, right? So we go from having fun with it um, in the pit to then there's video opportunities up top on the at the track and it just again snowballed into live streaming into full production and into into television so um but the main thing and it always will be you know it'll never change is the fun aspect we started it as a fun project and down the road it'll end as a fun project and uh again it that's that's what it's all about just us friends at the racetrack with our friends so that's the that's the most short version of the story that I can give you. But like Sal said, there could be hours of conversation of all the, the fun that we've had along the way. You know, Tommy, I mean, it's, you know, like, you know, we're, we're sharing, we're sharing, but, you know, really with the race fans, you know, is that, you know, in, in racing, you know, there's, you know, of course, you have the teams, you have the drivers, you got the crew, everybody does something. You got the photographers, you got the writers, but you got the video people, you know. I mean, but what what you and what you and Jeffrey have done with, with you know, with the low budget T V moniker, you know, low budget, you know, which is how you guys have always operated, you know. But um even through the transition from, you know, all the different tracks you guys have been to, you guys have always stayed humble and you guys have always stayed close to your roots, you know, you guys never forget. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's key to us. Yeah, and that's absolute key because we want to, we, we 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 love developing and growing, um, but there's always home, and we'll never forget where we came from and, and how it started. And you heard talking about friends and friendship and whatnot, and that's, you know, our TV crew per se. So when we go hit the road with uh, Southwest Tour and, and whatnot, even – Heck, we can go across country and we're still bringing our friends. And it's not because we don't want anybody else inside of our circle. It's just because um, we're too cheap to pay the the, the good the people to, to help us. So our friends, thankfully, are all race fans. And so they we jump on a plane or we jump in a rental van or we jump in the, into my car and we load stuff up in the trunk and we go to the racetrack, whether it's, you know, 30 minutes away or – um, across country, so uh, and we and we have a lot of fun doing it. Again, you hear that word a lot. Um, and humble, yeah, very humble to to know, you know, in 15 or so years, this none of this was planned. Absolutely not. It was literally just start with that toy microphone and cheap camera, and um, it just again we just evolved into this thing where. We uh, we didn't know what we were doing, and we're still figuring it out. But 
it's it's evolved and it's gone bigger and crazier than we'd have ever expected to. Um, and I don't know where the where the bus stops, um, but if it if it doesn't, we're along for the ride. We're race fans. We're gonna. That's another thing too is what people hopefully see out of the project that we have is we're not going there for any other reason than we would have already been there anyway. So it just happens that we have a camera with us and we're going to provide uh, some entertainment and capture moments, you know, capture memories for some of these racing people. So it's not like we wouldn't be at Kern or, or Indianapolis Speedrome or Evergreen Speedway or wherever, wherever we're going to be at. We're, we were going to be there. It just, we happened to, uh, evolve into race fans with a camera. You know, you know, then when you think about it, Tommy, I mean, Arendelle has been blessed, you know, to, you know, to be a part of, you know, your, you know, your guys' growth, you know, and, you know, not only your growth, you know, but, you know, everything that, you know, that has gone on, you know, behind the scenes with low budget TV, you know, I was telling Sharon, you guys used to have that little radio show, the video show, you know, and, you know, on the internet and, I don't, gosh, I can't remember if it was, you guys, I think you guys did it at Urindale, or did you guys do it in, in somebody's basement? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that was a lot of fun. That was like, that was like way a long time ago before technology was easy to use like it is today. Um, we were literally using an old desktop a friend gave us that they were going to throw away. We plugged in a camera uh, somehow. I can't even tell you what cable we used, but it somehow worked. And yeah, we would do we would record these uh, live uh, talk shows, and it was just basically us sitting in front of a camera, Jeffrey and I going over results, and then I'd pull out my cell phone, and we'd put them on speakerphone, and interview them. And I mean, I would love to go back. It's a website that doesn't exist, unfortunately. So we didn't know we weren't smart enough at that time to know how to record what we were doing. Um, and it's all stuff you don't think about, but. Now you wish you can look back and just cringe at some of the stuff that we were probably doing. But, um, but yeah, those are a lot of fun. So we actually, in the office at Irwindale Speedway, we would hijack the Internet and, and broadcast. And then uh, eventually it came to Jeffrey's garage. We just opened, we did it in the garage and uh, unfolded a fold-up table and tripod there and, we had people coming by, like people would figure out the address somehow, who knows what they were doing, but, um, and, and we had racers stop by every now and then, which was again, crazy to think about, but, uh, yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. And I do wish there was a way to pull that out. But again, the, the wonderful internet, sometimes as things change, things go away. So, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and with that, with that, Tommy, you know what? I'm going to hand it over to Sharon. I know she has, I know she has some questions for, uh, for you too. Tommy, your story is so inspirational. I, I hope there's some kids that are listening uh, to hear how you took something uh, that you got from for Christmas and the toy that was laying around and and what you did with <laughs> that uh, is pretty fantastic. Um, 
And, you know, how timely is this? It's like you were destined to do this because streaming is kind of where it's at these days. I know I've dropped my cable, and I'm all streaming now on Roku, uh, and I love it because uh, I'm not paying as much as I was paying at the cable bill. Uh, so, But what fans have always been craving is this grassroots racing and they can't always get out of the track for whatever reason you're bringing the track to them yeah and i think you're you nailed it as far as uh how how the timeline all worked out because um anybody could tell you now or um if they haven't yet like the technology and you can see this in your living room you can see this in your car you can see this through internet broadcasting. The technology today, anybody can do what we're doing. And um, there's, I mean, there's websites that can sell it, and it's not anywhere near the price that it used to be back when. Um, but, you know, there is that years and years of experience. So you've got to really hone your craft. You've got to really make yourself different from the others. Um, and we started way back when in 2006, and again, we didn't know what we were doing, and that's that's how it works, right? You just kind of evolve, mm-hmm. and, and it works or it doesn't. You try again next week. You try again next week. Just like the actual racers and the race teams at the racetrack, you're going to come in there with possibly a good setup, and it fails. You might go in there with a hope and a prayer, and you nail it. Um, and so as technology is evolving, I mean, YouTube, Facebook, all these things. Now, you can stream from your cell phone. And uh, <laughs> that wasn't the way back then, 15 years ago, or even 10 years ago, or even three years ago. So um, as technology continues to grow, um, you know, it is it is amazing to see what this could come out to. And I think, you know, all these, these big, big companies above us that um, have all this uh, – um, technology, um, they're gonna, they're gonna find. It's gonna, it's eventually going to. I feel like be what you said, cutting the cable, and people are gonna just mm-hmm. be streaming everything. You see, I mean, how many times have you seen uh, people watching stuff even on their phone? You couldn't have done that ten years ago. So, technology is changing, yep. and we just got in at the right time. It's not planned in that way. And and what I love about this story, you, you talk about the trials and the tribulations, the successes and the the let's try this again. It's your passion. Um, you've heard the saying, nobody has to work as long as they're doing what they love. And that's what this sounds yeah. like. It sounds like you guys were, you had a passion for this, and it's what kept driving you through all of the successes or the failures the, you know, that didn't work, so let's try something different. Uh, I love it. I, it's so inspirational, and, and a big kudos to you and, and Jeffrey for everything that you've accomplished with this. Um, and, and, you know, I live in the Midwest. I'm from Illinois, so I'm able to watch Spears TV <laughs> and see what's going on with the SRL races. So, uh, you know, that was unheard of not that long ago, and, and you brought that technology uh, and made it available so that somebody like me could see what was going out on out there in the West Coast. Yeah, and uh, I thank you for watching. 
it's a lot of fun to bring those races to you because um, you talk about passion, right? So Jeffrey and I, our parents met at the racetrack, sitting in turn four at Saga Speedway in Santa Clarita, California. And that, that friendship that developed into Jeffrey and I being best friends and then in turn developing this low-budget TV, Spears Racing TV project, and, you know, who knows how it's going to continue down the road. Um, so we were we were friends before we even knew we were friends. If that makes any sense, I'll try to explain it. So we would be at the racetrack, and we would know that one of the two of us were going to be there, right? And we'd get to the track, and, hey, there we are. And we would just go run around under the grandstands and kick rocks and trash and you know, then we'd go to Mason Moran and Bakersfield and kick the trash at the bottom of the grandstands, go run in the pits, get autographs, and, and pretend to wave flags like we were flagmen. And then I think that's when we realized, wow, we're not that far from each other. We can hang out, you know, during summer breaks and, you know, school holidays. And, you know, we, you know, developed this, you know, best friendship. But, um, and, and that's kind of, again, how this project really all started with a bunch of friends, mainly us two, and then it, it developed into, you know, more and more people coming in and, you know, you get to know this contact and you talk about, like, we see Sal every race and it's be, and we make sure to catch up on, on life and chat a little bit as much as we can while we're in passing of doing our, our stuff. Um, yep. And, yeah, yeah, you just, you never know with racing and it's, such a big world, but at the same time, such a small world. Okay. Sal, if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and close it up because uh, we're, we're on our time schedule here. But, uh, Tommy, we've got to have you come back again. This was uh, a fantastic conversation. And uh, I hope our, list, our listeners found it as inspirational as we did. Um, I, I'd love for you to come back. How can fans follow you? Uh, because I know you're on Mad TV, you help out with Mad TV as well, the low budget TV, Spears TV. How can they keep keep up with you and what's going on? Yeah, no, thanks uh, for having me. And the best way to keep up to what we're doing is uh, through social media, low budget TV um, on Facebook, and then LBTV Racing on uh, Instagram and and Twitter. I have a page uh, that I don't know if I have enough space for friends. I think Facebook has a thing that if I accept any more people that, you know, it'll warn me or something. I don't care. Just come enjoy uh, <laughs> what we're all doing, and uh, we'll be happy to have people follow. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on tonight. We really enjoyed this, and uh, thank you for being willing to come back again somewhere down the road here. Uh, uh, and, uh uh, kind of educate us on how this whole TV streaming thing uh, kind of started uh, with you guys, uh, yourself and, and Jeffrey. Tommy Mason and Jeffrey, um, uh, I can't think of his last name right now. Jeffrey Best. Jeffrey Best, yep. That, yeah, there you go. Uh, so, he, you know, that you guys, uh, you know, developed a friendship and, and uh, developed your passion at the same time. So uh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you all later. Right, thanks okay. for coming on, Take Tommy. Bye. All right. You're right, Sal. We could have talked forever. <laughs>
with Tommy. Oh, yeah. That it's was a, fantastic. It is a, a, interesting story. I mean, I, that, that wasn't even probably an eighth of it. Yeah, I you know. know. I know. That was, we just that, touched that was just, the surface just a, right there. That was just an introduction. <laughs> exactly. We'll have to make him a regular uh, on the show here somehow. Uh, but we do want to get into the uh, clash at the Coliseum because that was history in the making uh, for NASCAR. And uh, this Bush Lake uh, clash at the Coliseum has been a huge success uh, taking place this Sunday, February the 6th, at the L.A. Coliseum. Uh, Joy Logano held off uh, Kyle Busch and uh, was able to come home with that victory when it was all said and done. Uh, Kyle Busch didn't make it easy on him, though. He was pretty hard charging. Uh, Joey Logano got the lead on lap 116 just moments before Kyle Larson uh, kind of retaliated against Justin Haley for an earlier contact. That Actually, it wasn't anything that had to do with Haley. Haley was hit from behind. And uh, that pushed his car into Kyle. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, Kyle took it out on Justin Haley and took him out of the race. Uh, Joey Logano won that race. Uh, Kyle Busch came in second, followed by Austin Dillon, uh, Eric Jones, Kyle Larson, William Byron, Cole Custer, Christopher Bell, I.J. Allmendinger and Kevin Harvick came home with a top 10 finish. Uh, there were five lead changes among three drivers and six cautions. The average speed of the race was 39.029 miles per hour. Uh, Joy Logano is one of 24 different drivers to win the Bushlight Clash uh, from 79 to 22. Uh, it's the second Bushlight victory. Uh, Bush Light Flash victory. He also won in 2017 at Daytona. He becomes the 12th different driver to win multiple Clash races, uh, and it was Team Penske's fifth Clash victory. Uh, it's also the 10th time that Ford has won the Bush Light Clash. Uh, again, uh, Kyle Bush, who finished second and runner-up, uh, he did it. He's done that twice. In the Bush Clash, she also did that in 2017, uh, as well as this year. Uh, and uh, it, it was an exciting event. Uh, your thoughts about that top ten and kind of the, some of the things that I highlighted there? Yeah, you know, it was, uh, <clears throat> gosh, I, I, you know, it's, it's just really hard to, to put into words, you know, what, you know, what was, what was witnessed down there this past weekend. But I'll tell you, when uh, Kyle Busch was making a run at Joey, then he ended up hitting the wall. We are sitting up in the peristyle waiting, you know, for the end of the race. And uh, Kyle was starting to make a run, and then he hit the wall twice, the backstretch wall, mm-hmm. you know, which kind of, you know, kind of slowed him down, you know, from making any move from there. But um, I'll tell you, he was – he was on it. I mean, he was ready to, mm-hmm. you know, any any mistake by Joey. And then, of course, a lot of traffic, you know, came and, you know, played a, you know, played havoc on all of it. But, um, yep. you know, it, it was neat, you know, to see, you know, see Cole Custer, you know, get that seventh place finish. You know what? Chris Bell get yes. the eighth place finish. You know what? Um, Eric Jones this get the fourth I... place finish. You know what? 
This yeah. is what I loved about it, Sal. There's more parody in those cars than we're seeing names that we don't normally see in that top <clears> ten. And other names that you would expect to be up there, they, they're they're not in the race or, you know, they're, it's just a whole game changer. <laughs> you know, even talking with Cole, you know, um, I talked with him before the start of the before the start of the race, um, I seen him in the garage area, you know, I, I said, well, he made it. He goes, yeah. I go, I go, what a difference, you know, getting practice, you know, and doing some qualifying, you know, finally getting some seat time, you know, especially on nobody knew this track, you know, this is a new track. So it's not like you have guys like Kevin Harvick or Kyle Bush or Joey Logano, you know, that, you know, that have raced this track, you know, many, many times, mm-hmm. you know, it was a new track, you know, just with the, you know, at the practice, you know, it helped. I mean, and you know, um, yep. it, it was it was a really good race. I mean, you know, um, and I, I know a lot of people had too, They they took a lot more of a beating uh, without cutting down a tire. They were sturdier, if you will. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they were bumping. I mean, I have pictures of, of guys that were just flat out running up the back of another driver. You know, and the, and the cars were. They're really sturdy, you know, and of course, you know, the odds-on favor was probably Kyle Larson to win, you know, with his dirt track experience. But, um, you know, it was, I'll tell you, it was, it was, you know, to see Daniel Suarez, you know, make the show, you know, was really, you know, something special. Yes. You know, especially in that community right there around there, there's a lot of Hispanics, you know, around the um, L.A. area, yep. you know, and, and you, know, so, you know, it was nice to see Oh yeah, and it was nice to see you know Harvick or um, not Harvick, but Suarez. We talked to him a little bit before the race, me and Manny and and us, you know, and and you know he was excited, you know, he had made the you know race. All the drivers were, you know what? And like I said, you yeah. know, it was nice to see, you know, that not every big name driver made it. I felt bad that Brad didn't make it. I really want to see Brad. He had a really nice hot rod. His his hot rod was beautiful. Yeah, um, that was amazing. And you know, Daniel talked about yeah. how it had a hometown feel to him. Oh yeah, it's. I mean, the crowd was diverse. I'll tell you that the crowd wasn't just one. You know, one nationality. The crowd was. It was mixed, and I'll tell you, there was mm-hmm. a lot of partying going on. It was crowded. It was hard to walk to to get oh, from one side of the track to the other. You could tell people were having a good time. Oh, they were, and it was loud. They were loud, <laughs> cheering and screaming, and and the cars were loud. And oh man, I had to wear earplugs where I was at because that's how loud it was inside that inside that Coliseum Bowl. But it was, um, uh, I guess they were planning on having it uh, there again next year, possibly uh, 2023, 2000, possibly 2024. Yeah, that would be really cool. You know, I, I kind of feel like when you, I walk into Indianapolis Motor Speedway, there's a certain aura that surrounds that track that kind of gives you a little goosebumps, if you will. And, you know, there were a couple moments in that uh, event uh, where I had that feeling. But, Sal, you were there walking into the Coliseum for a NASCAR race. Did, did you – get that sense that there was an aura there and uh, get that goosebumpy feeling? You know what? It, it kind of did to a sense because I'll, I'll tell you, I've been to the Coliseum, I don't know, numerous times. When when the Raiders played, when they were in town, that was their home 
field. And me being a Raider fan, I don't know, 20, 30 Raider games I went to, um, concerts, been a, I, I don't even count the number of concerts. Mickey Thompson off Roadshow over there. But, yeah. man, when, you know, I'll tell you, I was beat Saturday. I was going to tap out and I'd even go on Sunday. I mean, I'd walked already almost 50,000 steps between Orendale Friday and Saturday. Saturday was hard. I was the only photographer there, so I had to do everything. And I was tired, and I had to wait late for them to, for Ricky to, to um, pass tech. And I got all my toes sandy. I go, you know what? I go, I'm beat. I go, I don't know if I'm going to make it tomorrow. Um, I oh, no. Late, I went up with Will Lester. I know. I, I I went up with Will Lester, so I was going to text Will and say, you know what, dude, I'm – but then I know if I text him, he's going to call me a slacker, and I was going to get all kinds of names thrown at me. So right. I woke up Sunday morning, and <laughs> I know. And then I and then I know I heard it from you guys. But then, um, yeah. you know, but I always, I always say that. I always say I'm not going to make it, and then I always go. But So then I woke up I Sunday, got showered, got dressed. <laughs> yeah, I probably was, not not by chance, but – but um, I got up and went, and then, you know, we got there. We walked in and, you know, walking through the press box and, you know, getting our seats, you know, then, you know, going out to the track. And, of course, you know, then the adrenaline started flowing, and, and you can and then mm-hmm. see the fans, you know, you excited as they were. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, you could just you could just feel, I mean, you the energy, the energy. I didn't even eat. Oh, wow. That's how that's how energetic I got. And usually I, I always stop and grab something. They fed us. NASCAR fed us. And I even, and yes. I grabbed a couple of bottles of water and went out to the track and that was it. It was hot and I didn't care, but you know what? I went through the, through the stands and seen some, you know, old friends and stuff, talk to them, you know, and, and uh, you know, found my place where I was going to shoot the race. And I'll tell you, and, and I, I was kind of sad that it was over when the checker flag flew as tired as I was, I was sitting on the peristyle waiting for Joey to come up the, steps and as tired as I was man I was I was kind of bummed out that it that it was over but actually was, I think that's one of the times a, that I saw you at the top of the steps when Joey Logano was walking up yeah that's where that's what I got a bunch of text messages and pictures on my phone hey we see you mm-hmm. on tv what are you doing up there and you know and uh, <laughs> man, I said you know what how, how can you your, your camera's not pointing out well I have a long lens I, I wanted to catch him when he came up but um, yeah yeah and then, well, we're coming up to our all... last uh, less than a minute here. We're down to 30 seconds. So uh, are you going to be at a racetrack uh, this weekend, Sal? No, this weekend's Super Bowl. Oh, that's right, Super Bowl this weekend. Okay, yeah, so, so well, yeah, we'll Super catch Bowl up with weekend. you. I, I think our next show is actually not until the 21st because okay. they've got the Olympic break here, the Super Bowl break. Uh, but, yeah, we're going to do a podcast preview, but the next review show will be on Monday, uh, February the 21st. So uh, we'll be thinking about who our guests are going to be for that show and and uh, get that all lined up. But, uh, Sal, thanks for all that you did this weekend. Uh, we really appreciated it. I even used one of your photos today on the website. So <laughs> you did a nice cool. job. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Everybody have a good good weekend. Go, um, whoever your Super Bowl favorites are, I'm not going to tell you who mine is, but whoever you pick, I hope your team wins. If oh, not, I know who well, your favorite You know what, is. There's, there's always next season. So, um, anyways, you guys have a good good show. You guys have a good week. Stay safe. Watch out for the COVID. He's out there. 
And uh, we'll talk to you guys <laughs> in a couple weeks when we come back. Bye. Okay, Sal. Take care now. Bye-bye. All right, that was Sal Segala Jr. And uh, Sal has uh, is coming down from being at the L.A. Coliseum this past weekend for the Clash at the Coliseum. He was also at Irwindale Speedway for the uh, showdown uh, there. And uh, he's had a very busy weekend, and uh, we appreciate what he did there. But now it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And uh, joining us uh, for that tonight is, uh, first of all, our Hot Topics uh, co-host, Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thanks, Sharon. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Uh, Looking forward to our conversation here tonight. We also have uh, Jay Huseman, the co-host for the preview show on Thursdays. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. And I just want to say it's so great to hear somebody else talk about something. Sal mentioned it. He said he was so excited and involved in the race, he forgot to eat. When people (laughs) ask me that, they're like, you know, did you eat while you were at the track? And I was like, no, I forgot. I didn't go to the bathroom. I just, I forgot. I was that intense and excited. To hear somebody else say they go through that, it made me feel good. I'm like, I'm not the only one. (laughs) Absolutely not. Okay, also, I am so excited that uh, returning back with our Fan for Racing crew this year is Brian Everly, and he's part of our Hot Topic panel tonight. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hey, Sharon. How's it going? It's going great. Uh, We've got a lot to talk about uh, on our NASA Hot Topic. I think I've shared with you what our uh, process is here, and I'm going to go to you for our first Hot Topic here tonight. All right, we'll get it started. First, I just want to expand upon what Jay said there. Those are the best days at the track when you're, you're covering a race and you, you, the day ends and it's 11, 12 o'clock at night, you're leaving the track and you're like, man, I'm hungry. I didn't really eat anything this afternoon. So those are when you know it was a great race and there was a lot going on and a lot to cover. And I guess overall, I, I just kind of want to kick it off with getting everybody's thoughts on the clash and what they thought of yesterday, what what they liked, maybe if there was anything they didn't like and just kind of get – their overall impressions on on what we saw yesterday. Okay, uh, Andy, we'll go to you for the first commentary there. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I think I said that a couple, three times in our race day chat yesterday. I I was thrilled. I thought it was a home run on on NASCAR's part uh, to be able to put together an event like that, a temporary event, in fact. I mean, I believe they've already <laughs> began to deconstruct the racetrack, but I think that this opens some, some doors for down the road. Uh, a lot of excitement surrounding this event yesterday, certainly. Um, it put on a great show, and I think what was, was fun about it is it's non-traditional from our normal race format. We had uh, heat races to set the lineup. We had uh, a lot of teams that had to go through your, your last chance qualifiers. And we didn't really know who was going to be in that race until the bitter end of those races. And then of course the main event, and it wasn't terribly long. So it, it um, retained its excitement level. I thought quite well throughout the event. And um, I watched the entire coverage from uh, 2 PM through about eight. So that's six hours. And it went really quickly because you had everything broken up from, 
qualifying races to the last chance qualifiers to the main event. And so it, it was a lot of really good short track racing. Um, it got pretty wild there actually late afternoon for those Lance Chevs qualifiers. It was, it was just a lot of fun. And I think this opens up some doors uh, down the road because this was something that strayed significantly, I think from what we're used to in the sport. And you may see, new temporary venues you may see nascar move in a direction where it can it can set up these these new venues in new markets or or possibly visit existing bullring type short tracks that are already out there um the point being that this may allow nascar to expand its its uh, locations and and go to various places um, you know, maybe not necessarily every year, but allow them to maybe rotate these types of venues, um, not just in the United States, but possibly internationally. It's already been discussed and, and possibly rumored for down the road. So, um, but just a really cool format. I thought the venue was great. I like the fact that it was a new market, or I should say a market revisited uh, Los Angeles from the past. Um, the production was good. Um People, I, I had read possibly some negativity about the broadcast. I liked the broadcast. I thought it was good. Um, they pulled out, you know, all stops as far as entertainment was concerned for those who attended the event yesterday. I don't have anything negative to say about it. I I thought it was a, a really cool event, and I thought it was a, a really good direction for the Clash. Um, personally, going into it, I had questioned myself whether I would miss the Clash being held at Daytona, but... Um, like I either it was either to Jay or, or Mike yesterday in, in the race day chat that um, you know this was this kind of set the clash aside and in, in separate from uh, Daytona Speed Weeks and being its own unique event, whereas the previous clash was more or less an, an extension of, of Daytona Speed Weeks and almost felt more like. Um, a Daytona 500 practice session that would usually end as a demolition derby, which provided entertainment value. But I think that um, this is a very positive change that now sets the Bush Clash uh, completely separate from anything else uh, that the that the Cup Series does, and just truly enjoyable. And I, I look forward to seeing more of these types of events in the future. Okay, Jay, your thoughts. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to cover on this a, as a topic. Uh, one thing I want to say when it comes to the venue posture and doing this in other locations, I think what we need to do as a separate hot topic, especially when it comes to the cost, <laughs> as Mike and I discussed earlier. So I'm going to set that aside. Uh, there are some, some good and bad, as with most things. There's always good and bad. And first off, I want to focus on the good. And overall, it was great. I, I thought it was awesome. Um, brought in a new market, Andy mentioned, new fans. Uh, it was an event uh, without a doubt that it was definitely an event and it brought some attention, uh, you know, and I chatted with a lot of dirt fans and they, okay, they're going to put their, their spin on it, which I'll get to on the other side, but they were at least watching it. So all great things. The debut of the new car came with it. Uh, I think we saw some great things from that. Again, some concerns. Uh, well, I won't say bad or, or negative, but some concerns that, evolution we'll have to work through uh come back to those on on the second round but yeah the the great thing and andy mentioned it the the clash had for some teams 
uh, at Daytona become a test session for the 500. We, we saw that in years past. I think this really separated that. It being open and you having to work your way in. We saw some the top drivers not make it in. Okay, that's kind of a, a concern, and, and you know whether or not then it holds fans. But it also highlighted some new drivers, other drivers that did. And I think that's the good thing to take because, again, it brings a fan base to those of, hey, who is this guy? He showed up and went toe-to-toe with the big boys, ran really good. I think that's how Justin Haley put it. So that's a great thing uh, to see that mixture, to see, like I said, the performance of the car. Yeah, you can still wreck one of these cars. They are not indestructible. We saw that and we knew that. But – there was a little more flexibility and we didn't see the uh, the sheet metal bend up and cut a tire or that create a team from dropping out. So great thing there from the car, first time out. Some of it, this track specifically, was going to put a lot more wear and tear on it. It was the first race with it. So take that for what it is. And, and I just think it, it really set a great tone for the season. And, and I mentioned of a new market, new eyes, and hopefully that grows the sport. So I'll end there and, and let Brian jump in here, uh, being that he brought the topic up, and then come back around to maybe some of the concerns and things to look at on the road. Well, I'm going to jump in there yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, don't leave Sharon. We, you forgot me. Um, sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, I. I Kind of with Andy and and with Jay, there were good thing, there were a lot of good things, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, yeah, I watched it on the TV, so I wasn't at the venue, uh, but I I loved a couple of my observations. Is I felt like been asking for grassroots racing for such a long time, and NASCAR was able to do that with this temporary short track, which seems kind of impossible to do, but they did it. Uh, and they did it very, very well. Um, and and uh, they brought this short track to the L.A. Coliseum and marquee uh, venue and um, uh, with a brand-new car. So you had this blending of trying to capture some of that grassroots racing with a brand-new car in NASCAR. And I thought it blended uh, very, very well. Uh, I like that the cars are a little sturdier. We're not getting cautions uh, for those cut tires that you mentioned. Uh, I thought that was fantastic. Uh, they're not indestructible, to get your point. Uh, they can still be destroyed. Uh, we did see some tempers a little bit on the track. Uh, so there was the passion there uh, from the drivers on the track, and that's what short track racing uh, is uh, that's a lot of it uh, is the passion of the drivers on the track, uh, and we saw that. Uh, we saw some growing pains. This is something new. It's out of the box thinking, and uh, we did see a, a little bit of growing pains with it. We're going to see some growing pains with it, uh, and and I think um, the growing pains are going to happen on the track, but they're also going to happen behind the scenes. Uh, I listened to um, uh, Todd Guy, not Todd, what was his name? Travis, Travis Geisler from Team Penske today on SiriusXM, and he was talking about how they have to kind of reshape their thinking about how they deal with the cars. He was talking about how, you know, 
they usually have to strip the whole car down and rebuild. Uh, and he said they're basically going to keep the inside of the chassis together, and it's just adding, you know, everything to the outside or change, making the changes there. And with these being snap-on parts, more or less, uh, you don't even have to change the whole car. You just have to snap on the parts that are are um, uh, damaged in some way. Uh, obviously, there's going to be different cars for different types of tracks, uh, and, and they'll deal with that. I, this is probably going to be most closely related to like a Bristol or a Martinsville. Um, I do think some of the growing pains that they experienced are people making adjustments to the new car. Uh, in in uh, Tyler Reddick's case, I thought he he said he uh, punched the clutch a little bit too much or too hard, and he thinks that's what precipitated his problem. Um, uh, Chase Briscoe mentioned that he was shifting a lot more than uh, a lot of the other drivers were doing, and and that might have contributed to the issue that he had. Uh, so there's going to be those kind of growing pains. Uh, through all of this, and and I think we have to go into that with our eyes wide open with that. Um, uh, but overall, I agree with you guys. I think that it was really, really good racing. People looked like they were having a great time, and talking about carrying this over into other um, out-of-the-box thinking ideas, uh, I know we can't do a halftime, but before the race, entertaining the fans with, with uh, you know, the DJ that they had, the L.A. DJ uh, that was there and, and spinning tunes and, uh, you know, having fun with the fans. Everybody was having a really, really good time. And it wasn't just the fans in the stands. It was the announcers. It was the drivers. Um, the drivers were a little more... Uh, uh, tempered, if you will, because they didn't know what to expect on the track. But I think overall they had a good time as well. Uh, so I thought it was a home run for NASCAR. And, uh, Brian, I can't wait to hear what you have to say. <laughs> a lot of the same thoughts you guys had. I mean, first off, I just can't get over the visuals of that racetrack inside the Coliseum. Like, I'm I'm so jealous of everyone that got to be there and experience it in person just from watching so many all the TV coverage I could over the weekend, the different videos that people had posted, the photos from various media members and a couple of friends I had at the race, like just incredible looking, you know, and like a lot of people when it was first announced, I wasn't against it ever, but I was kind of skeptical of oh, that's not really going to work. How are they going to build a track in there? It's it's not going to be a good race potentially, you know, but I was, I was all for trying it, especially with it being an exhibition race like the clash. And to me, it, it exceeded expectations. I think, I think it was overall a, a really good race. I mean, as much as I wanted Bush to kind of run down Logano there at the end and kind of have a side-by-side battle for the win, I think the racing was, was pretty solid, especially on that size of track. Um, I absolutely loved the heat race format. I mean, uh, I wrote an article yesterday. I can't remember the last time qualifying actually truly meant something outside of, you know, maybe a, a guy or two not making it in the duels and making the Daytona 500, but those have never been the big names for several years either. So you had four playoff drivers from last year didn't make the feature event, and you could tell, you know, when they talked to Kurt Busch and Alex Bowman, they were they were definitely disappointed. It, it meant something to still make the feature. I mean, I don't want mm-hmm. that qualifying format in every race weekend that we have, but I think it's great for an exhibition like this. It'd be great for the all-star race. You know, we can get in more to 
where we could see this going in the future too. But I just think like it, it was great for the clash. I'd love to see something like that for an all-star event. And just kind of curious as to what other venues might work and how you make it as cost effective as possible. Cause obviously we've, we've heard the, the numbers of it definitely wasn't cheap to build a racetrack out there, but I think with all the, the buzz that it generated, hopefully new eyes that tuned in or that went to the race, because to me, that's always been the thing going to my first race in 1999 at Michigan is what really kind of hooked me as a fan. So I think getting people there any way you can and hoping that they decide to come back to a race or tune in on TV, I think is, you know, all you can hope for, but I really don't think it could have went better for NASCAR yesterday. Honestly. I mean, that was, a big risk. There's so many things that could have went wrong or, you know, could have really blown things up. I mean, I've still seen, you know, on social media, there's of course some people that, that don't like it or didn't enjoy it. But to me, I think that's perfect for a, an exhibition event to start off the season. And it definitely created buzz. And I, I thought it was a pretty solid race. I was entertained. Like it was, yeah. Like one of you mentioned six hours of coverage yesterday, but it never felt long or drawn out or boring to me. So overall entertained kudos to, NASCAR and everyone that went into work on that event because it obviously took a lot of work. It was definitely a gamble, and I'm glad that it, it seemed to pay it off in a, a very positive manner. Okay. Andy, it's your follow-up time. Yeah, and something that uh, Jay first touched on and you as well, Sharon, um, we talk about some of the durability issues. It should be noted that uh, – short tracks can be some of the toughest on equipment that that's always been the case. And, you know, we have to consider too, with a brand new car um, with parts that haven't been truly proven just yet. I I think that we're going to see growing pains to start the season and it may take several weeks for uh, manufacturers and, and NASCAR and these teams to, to really figure out, um, you know, any durability issues with parts or, or, you know, any potential issues the car may have. Um, we're going to go to a variety of racetracks to start the season. And, you know, just coming off a short track here, we've got a super speedway, intermediate tracks. So, you know, you've really got quite a diverse start to the season, um, which should help, I think, everyone figure out these durability issues. I think it may be a bit of a storyline to start the year. Um, and I'm sure this is going to come up again during speed weeks at Daytona. Um, but I think that's just part of it. It's a completely brand new car with completely brand new parts. And it should also be noted that uh, the majority of this car is, is built by outside vendors from the team. So a lot of these teams don't really even have control over, you know, their own parts and pieces that would have otherwise gone into the race car. And they're now at the mercy of uh, vendors uh, taking care of these parts and pieces. So it's going to be interesting to see how, um, everyone reacts to this, and I think that we saw a couple driveline uh, problems yesterday, um, probably just the start of potential issues we may see. I don't think it'll be a huge problem, but it will be a factor to start the year and may have some implications as far as uh, teams that you know may have been in contention to win a race that may not win a, win a race in light of a potential mechanical problem, but, you know, I, I chalk that up to growing pains that will ultimately be worked through. And I think that we'll get through it, but, you know, it definitely something that, you know, came up yesterday and um, specifically for drive lines, when you think about short tracks and, and shifting and all that, that's about as tough as it can possibly get on these cars, but, you know, something that we'll, we'll certainly, I think, see as the season unfolds is, 
you know, everybody in the industry learns this car and learns what it can and can't do. Okay, Jay. Yeah, as we're talking about concerns, and I'd say Andy stole my thunder, but it was actually going to be Mike's thunder. Uh, that is one of the concerns, uh, I'll use the word concerns, that, that he brought up. And we look back at the history of when NASCAR mandated everybody use the provided pit gun. There were some issues there, uh, as well as then the Helmar engine in the truck series. Um, or Elmore, sorry. The that the teams don't have control of that. And that is a slight concern to me as well. Uh, we mentioned it, you know, some that there were some different things, different track, different things, different drivers were doing on that. The, the positive I take from it and the outlook is they'll, they'll learn what they can and can't do, push it to its limit, find out where the limit is and go from there. Um, as well as then hopefully take that to the manufacturers, being that it's not within the team. Hopefully then they take that in a positive way to the, the ones that are producing the parts and say, hey, we need this to be more durable or this could be changed and done differently. Rather than doing it internally, uh, provide it for the whole, not just their own team. I understand everybody's looking at their own team first, and that's why we have the competitiveness we do. Um, the other thing that I have a little bit of concern with is NASCAR is still about racing. I understand the mixture, and I know when we had talked about this on a previous show, I'm not tuning in. Per, I'm not tuning in for whoever the music show is or the entertainment. I appreciate the providing it because it does bring new fans as well as provide a total package. I just hope that NASCAR doesn't go too far in making it more of a show than a race. Uh, finding a balance. Same thing with the the fact that it was on the quarter mile of short track or doing the qualifying and heat races um, that they don't go too far overboard. And I go back to, we thought about it or talk about it with night races. Everybody wanted night races. Then when they went to night races, there were too many of them. Then they wanted road courses. We got that now. Now they want short track. You know, NASCAR has to keep it. And I think they do a great job of it. Of Yes, you want to keep the fans happy. Yes, you want to keep the drivers happy. Finding that balance, uh, you know, so I just hope they don't go overboard, overextend themselves, and that would lead into when we talk about doing it at different venues and different markets and, and other areas. And like I said, I think that's kind of a separate hot topic if we can get to a uh, next round or so. But the other, the other concern, and I'm really torn on this, when you talk about top drivers not making the race. I, you know, I've always been in favor of, you know, the one provisional was fine. And again, that's a separate hot topic on that decision, but... <laughs> of if a top driver doesn't make the field, I'm okay with that as long as they are still eligible for the playoffs because that's, that means throughout the season, I'm going to watch to see if they overcome it. We go back to, to Sharon and I have both agreed on this. Kyle yes. Busch probably became a more popular driver when he was out the first 15 races of uh, 2015, I believe. Maybe I got numbers wrong there, 11 races. 11 races. Anyway, there we go, in 2015, happened to come back. I mean, there were fans that weren't Kyle Busch fans that were watching and wa actually wanting him to get in, and you know, because he had to overcome that. And, and that's what this provides. You know, if this were a points race and affected the full season, guys like Brad Keselowski, yeah, they're starting in that hole, but then it's the overcoming. And then, I, like I said earlier, the to me the positive is if there is that gap of they didn't make the field, who did and how did they do? 
You know, uh, you know, everybody was so thrilled with Michael McDowell winning the Daytona 500. That's the opposite side. You know, you, you have that story, and you don't get that if you eliminate them because this guy's locked in. So uh, there can be a positive from it, but I understand it's a concern, uh, especially when it comes to, and I, I always pick on Chase Elliott, he's most popular driver, but, you know, how many fans are going to then say, I'm not watching because Chase Elliott's not in it or, or whatever it be. So um, the uh, I think those were the two biggest concerns, uh, you know, and, the, and again, the car, some of that I do think that this being a new event, new track, a short track, which, yeah, obviously is tough on equipment. Overall, again, I thought they performed very well. Um, putting these drivers, I know, I think Brian kind of mentioned it on, on the, the worry going into it, just as we did with the Bristol Dirt is it going to be just a demolition derby wreck fest? And it wasn't. We had a stretch in the in one of the last chance qualifiers, but if you understand that, you know that is last opportunity. I mean, that you're either in or out. So that second one there, uh, we had a stretch where that one got a little hairy. Uh, I think we had one green lap to every five caution laps. Um, so that's bound to happen. But I thought they did a great job in handling it. And, and then just like with the Bristol Dirt Race, they learned, NASCAR learned from it. They made some adjustments. You know, we'll see that from the drivers, from NASCAR, from the crews to adapt and evolve. They're, they're at the top level for a reason. So long-term, I see the outcome being good. Absolutely. I, I do see the overall outcome being a very positive thing. I, like you, don't want it to be like, oh, man, we really, really, really like this. Uh, and now we we're trying to get into every coliseum around the country. Um, so yeah, I don't think NASCAR is going to do that. I think they see the value in in um, submission event. Uh, at least I hope that's the case. Uh, we'll soon find out uh, because they are talking about possibly internationally. Uh, but I think for NASCAR, uh, Brian's right. They deserve the kudos that they're getting. Uh, they did a wonderful job of pulling together a fantastic venue, uh, a fantastic uh, entertainment package to go along with the NASCAR racing with a brand-new car. Uh, there was a lot of energy uh, that was wrapped up in the Coliseum on Sunday, and uh, everybody thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I know, I guess we're going to talk about different venues uh, later on, but I know fans do want to see, uh, you've got an all-star race that's coming up. I know it's at Texas Motor Speedway this year, um, uh, but uh, we'll have to see what they come up with as this new venue. Uh, But a lot of people are thinking about it, and uh, NASCAR is going to have to space that out. But what I also see is, and, Brian, you know we've heard this. they talked about street racing in Chicago, and I look at that and say there's no way they're going to be able to do street racing in Chicago on Lakeshore Drive. They have to close it down. Uh, and how would you watch that? And blah, You know, the, all, all kinds of things come to your mind. But a lot of people said that about the Coliseum, too, and they did a fantastic job with it. So if anybody could make that happen, I guess it would be NASCAR. Um, but uh, we'll have to wait and see uh, if that comes to light as well. Uh, I, I'm excited about it, and, and you guys brought up some great concerns, uh, and there's reason for those concerns. Uh, but I think overall I'm very enthusiastic. So, Brian, your final thoughts yeah, I mean, on I this think topic? I kind of have a little, a little bit of the same concerns just on 
um, some of the equipment failures that we saw. It's to be expected, obviously, with with a new car and everything they've gone through. And I don't think it's you know it wasn't so widespread. Where I think it's concerning at this point, just be something to kind of keep an eye on as the season goes on. I'm sure you know obviously these parts come from common suppliers and are distributed you know equally amongst the teams. But if you've got you know one driver that has a couple equipment failures early on, there'll be you know your conspiracy theories out there and stuff like that and all that stuff to get people talking. So hopefully it doesn't get to the point where we see a lot of equipment failures early on. Uh, I don't think it's anything to be too concerned about at this point, but it is definitely something to kind of note from, from yesterday on the negative side. Um, I also did, you know, see there were some fans that were upset that their driver didn't make the feature. Um, but to me, you still got to see him race in a 25 lap um, heat race and the 50 lap last chance qualifier. So it's not like they weren't on the track at all. And to me, that kind of just adds mm-hmm. the excitement. If that's my driver, like, man, I, I gotta, I gotta watch this to see if he makes the feature. Darn, he didn't. Okay. And I also feel like we're at the point where a lot of fans have, yeah, maybe their favorite driver, but they've got a second or third driver, whether it's a teammate or, you know, someone else in the same manufacturer or this and that, where it's it's not the end of the world to a lot of people, I feel like, these days. But I could be wrong on that. But I definitely don't – I don't know that I want to see that qualifying format everywhere by any means. But it'd be kind of neat to, to still do that and have that mean something, especially for these exhibition races. And then look at what it means. Obviously, um, if someone misses a race, you wouldn't want them missing the playoffs. Um, when you have that format that, you know, they'd have to kind of tweak how they do all that down the road. But I definitely like that. I definitely think um, the, the format was great. Hopefully they can kind of do something like that for the all-star race and hopefully something like that for the clash again next year. Um, I think, we're probably all in agreement on this panel. We're fine at not going back to Daytona, just a matter of uh, where we where we may want to see it go um, down the road. Okay. Uh, so thanks for bringing that up, Brian. Uh, Andy, you're up next for the next hot topic. Oh, this is kind of an interesting one, and, and um, it's going to be interesting to get uh, opinions on this because um, it involves the 19 of Truex yesterday. And I know Jay and I kind of touched on this a little bit during the race day chat, but um, they, the team took advantage of a rule for the event, which basically allowed them to skip the last chance qualifier and just go straight to the main event by virtue of their points position from last year, which I have to give a lot of credit to the crew chief and the team for figuring that out. But it made me scratch my head a little bit how they could just skip the qualifying race and go straight to the main um, kind of a loophole, if you will. So curious what you guys thought about that. I think it raised a lot of eyebrows yesterday. Okay, Jay, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, this is a tough one. And as you know, as I've expressed, coming from the dirt track background, which this was kind of formatted off of, um, you have that possibility when you're providing a provisional. Um, normally for a series that, that with my experience, uh, the driver is required to come out and turn a lap. Uh, they can't just sit out. They do have to come out and turn a lap. Now, again, you pull off their, pull off to the side, let everybody pass you. You do your one lap. You pull off the track. Okay, is it the best uh, sportsmanlike? Eh, that debate, could, you could go hours and hours. Uh, as I was thinking about this, uh, you know, and, and I'm one that when it first announced, I, didn't, I wasn't particularly fond of it. It is still a risk versus reward, and here's where I think uh, long-term different things come into play. Uh, the value of it, they protected their car. 
they did have to start at the back, so there's a risk. They have to start at the back, and especially on that quarter-mile track, uh, you know, how many laps was it before he was going to get passed or be in danger of being passed depending on how he was running? So you run that risk, as well as um, being behind where we generally say majority of the stuff's going to happen is mid-pack versus trying to work his way up to the front. But it locked himself in. And I put this message uh, to remind myself in the notes yesterday. Think back to Jimmy Johnson on the Roval a few years back. He went for the win, and it cost him a playoff spot. Uh, the playoffs or the race win would have given him, you know, uh, a guaranteed spot and moved him on. But by doing so, it cost him because he ended up finishing back far enough where he didn't make the playoffs. So it's a risk versus reward. Was there anything wrong and illegal about it? No. Am I a big fan of it? No. And one thing that I always talk about when it comes to football, the kneel down. I personally do not like the kneel down uh, play in football. Uh, with your head or just not ready to make a, take a shot at the end zone or whatever, I don't like it. But there is nothing wrong with it. And I know all of us here, we've talked about it, Talladega, riding around in the back. Okay. And Mike brought up the 100% rule, you know, and yeah, the way that rule is worded, um, it, it's vague and NASCAR has a sub, subjection to it. But if your 100% is to win that race, you feel your best chance you're winning that race. First off is to guarantee be locked in. You're giving it 100%. You're locking yourself in. So that is giving 100% in order to win that race because you're guaranteeing a locked in spot. So I, I can't really fault them. Whether I agree with it or not, I can't fault them for making that decision. Do I like it? Do I think they should have to run? Yes. But, you know, it is what it is. And they chose to uh, to go that route. They ended up 15th. Could he have worked his way in and started better and then not gotten a, uh, in the back? Don't know. You know, I mean, that's going to be a track-by-track, race-by-race situation that they got to make uh, on the and from what I heard, Martin Truex wasn't the one that made that call, that he wanted to race. I, th- I think it was his crew chief that talked him into it or made the decision. So I'll, uh, I'll protect Truex a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Brian, Brian, your thoughts? I agree the competitor in me would, would have loved to see him go out there and, and run the race. Um, at the same time, you know, if I'm the one making that call, hey, let's be smart about it. Our goal is to, to win the clash, not to win the last chance qualifier. Um, yeah, we got to start last, but I mean, looking at looking how that second last chance qualifier went, that Truex would have been in, it definitely looks like a smart call in hindsight. When it was first made, I was kind of like, whoa, well, that kind of that kind of sucks. But at the same time, like you guys kind of said, even if you change the rules of okay, you got to start the race or run the race, there's nothing to really prevent them from going out there and running a lap and parking it, or you know, running several laps down. Um, I think from my standpoint, I was just surprised. I kind of thought they'd want the laps with it just being the next gen car and just trying to get as much, you know, seat time as you possibly can that, that they'd go out there and, and at least run it, even if they, you know, ran it half a lap behind the field or whatever to stay out of a wreck. So I was a little bit surprised by that, but again, that's the rules, the rule book. And if, if you're going to play it by the rules, I think it was a, a smart call by Truex's crew chief for sure. Um, if I'm a Truex fan, yeah, I'm a little disappointed maybe, but also, again, at the same time, I realized, hey, that was a smart call because we kept our car in one piece and, and we made the feature, which was ultimately the the goal of the day. But, yeah, it, I'd like to see them kind of change that provisional around somehow. I don't know how i do it yet, but, like, do something a little bit different to make it not so, you know, 
easy, I guess, to, to kind of circumvent um, having to go out there and run. Okay. I, I can kind of see both sides of this topic, and, and I, I, I'm not sure exactly where I stand. I didn't like it when Jimmy Johnson rolled in the back <laughs> during the all-star races and stuff like that um, in some of the venues, but he played the strategy uh, to get to go after the wins, and that's what he was doing. Uh, but I hated it for his fans because I felt like his fans came to the track to watch him race, and they didn't get to see that. They they were kind of cheated out of that opportunity to see him actually race the race. Um, but I also think, you know, if you look at Kyle Larson, who had the other professional, he did race. And there were a couple times where he almost took himself out and might not have been in the clash itself as a result. So I, I think that, um, uh, and some of that was maybe of his own doing, but there was a couple of situations where it wasn't of his own doing. Uh, and, and that's a whole other topic. But uh, I, I do think, um, and I was disappointed because, I, as you guys know, I'm a fan of, of Martin Truex Jr. I really like him. And I would have loved to have seen him out there on the track uh, racing during those heat races. But I also see some value in his crew chief making the decision that he made because um, you can't be in the race. They were struggling with that car, and it gave Martin Truex a chance. And we saw a lot of drivers doing this when, when it wasn't their heat race. Uh, we saw drivers watching what was going on on the track, and uh, it gave Martin Truex the chance to kind of take that step back and be able to look and see what other drivers were doing and what lines they were taking and and maybe give him a chance to maybe drive his car differently. Um, Martin Truex is a talented driver. We all know that. Uh, but it gave him a chance to look at it from a different point of view uh, so that when he got back in the car, uh, one thing I did notice is he was able to kind of make up some of the positions. He started uh, the, the price he had to pay for, for uh, using that provisional to get into the clash was that he had to start at the back. So he had to race his way through. And he even said, I don't see myself getting up to first or second. Uh, so he paid that price as well. But I was able to see him kind of make some progress at, with that seat time and move up in position so um and that was for the the main feature uh and all of these guys were racing for that 1.9 million dollars that was the purse uh so this was nothing to sneeze at and there was a a significant reason for why these drivers all wanted to get in to that race so in a way i got to give jimmy small or james small uh a little bit of credit um kudos for making the decision that was going to get his driver into that final race. Uh, and you never know what can happen in these things. Uh, and there's a chance that Truex maybe could have. Uh, but I think realistically he knew he wasn't going to be up there racing for first or second. Uh, it was going to be a hard work trying to work his way through that field. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. <laughs> Maybe NASCAR will look at just one provisional and not two for the future. But uh, Kyle Larson didn't have any problem getting in there and scrapping it up with the guys <laughs> in those heat races. So um, there's two sides to the coin and different ways to look at this, I guess. 
So, Andy, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, I I will admit when this first happened yesterday, I I was a bit frustrated by it. However, you know, if you you really look at it, um, a brilliant, brilliant call by James Small, I think, um, to to utilize the rule set forth, which was um, the highest finisher in 2021 Cup Series points that was not already locked into the main event would get the provisional to proceed to the main event. And that's the position they were in. They were the highest team not locked in, and, and therefore they, they took advantage of the provisional. And um, I think we have to, to look at the fact that these teams are in short supply of, of chassis and cars that are fully built and ready to race. Um, and with mm-hmm. this new car being as versatile as it is, um, it is widely expected that a lot of these clash cars are going to be um, Daytona 500 backup cars because there isn't really any differentiation now between a super speedway, an intermediate, or a short track or road course car. They can all, in theory, be raced everywhere. So, um, and with teams only having one to two cars built, uh, I think the importance of trying to take care of your car was paramount. Now, if you looked at that a couple of those last chance qualifiers, you wouldn't <laughs> think so. Um, but I think that for many of these teams to simply come out of this race with, you know, an intact race car was probably mission accomplished. And then, you know, if, if you are following the rules set forth for this race, and you can eliminate a chance of destroying a race car by taking advantage of a provisional and simply moving your way to the main event, mission accomplished, right, if you're that 19 crew chief. So it's also a special event. This isn't something we normally see. Special events have special rules, and, you know, I think that I I wouldn't mind seeing some tweaking done on this. I, I think that, you know, all you'd have to do is maybe simply say that, you know, everyone's going to run the last chance qualifier, but whoever, you know, whoever finishes the highest or, you know, or highest, I mean, I I guess it wouldn't matter either way because whether Truex ran last or ran first, you know, if he's the highest in points from the previous season, he still advances, which would defeat the purpose of even running the race. But I'd, I'd at least like to see them have to run the event, even if they're, um, even if they're not maybe out there rooting and gouging and, and being super aggressive, you know, so maybe they can tweak on it. You know, maybe, maybe they just eliminate that particular provisional and, and say that if you're a cup series champion from last year, you can proceed like they did with Larson who coincidentally did race his way in, in his own qualifying race. But um, it was one of the rules that was set forth. Um, it should also be noted that, the clash has never been open to everybody or open for everybody to make their way in like it was this year. Generally speaking, it was only for pole sitters and, and other criteria, you know, which generally meant the field would be about 20 cars, um, you know, and, and we can liken this particular scenario to Truex met a criteria in which he was the highest in points from the previous season, which allowed him to take that provisional. So it simply is, is one of the criteria set forth that allowed Martin Truex Jr. and that team to proceed their way to the main event. So it's just, it's a special event. It's an exhibition race. It has no bearing of course on, 
on on the championship or point standings for this year. So, you know, I was a little frustrated at first, but when you really look at it, it it, it really isn't that bothersome to me. It's just it's just one of the rules set forth for the event, and they took advantage of it. And, and like I said, I think when you consider you know the necessity to try to to try to take care of these cars at least to start the year when cars are in short supply it was a it was a really really brilliant move by the crew chief to do that so um you know i like i said can they maybe tweak on this a little bit and make it so everyone's going to run that last chance qualifier sure i i wouldn't mind seeing that for the future but ultimately it was simply a team being smart enough to utilize and take advantage of the rules that were set forth by NASCAR. And, you know, ultimately I don't think it had any impact on, on, um, you know, that last chance qualifier or the main event itself. So it's, um, it's kind of one of those situations that, um, you know, nobody did anything wrong and, and I don't think it had any effect on anything really. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? I think the key we hit on there at this point anyway, this was a, a one-time thing. The Coliseum, the first time out, you want your all-stars in. Everybody wants to chase Elliott, get up in your camp from last year. Uh, to begin. So that's how they said it that way. If this were a long-term thing um, so throughout the season, when we go back uh, years back when the, when the provisionals and what they had to call the champions provisional, and I hate it, but the – or Joe Walter, as well as Richard, uh, that you can, there's several ways to tweak it. You can limit it to X number throughout the year. You can limit it to, uh, you get, once you use your one, you can't use another one until somebody, other other drivers that need it have, or you can put it as a hand, as a random draw. Um, you know, that's a possibility. We put in, uh, I think it was in the all-star race when they, when they do the fan um, they still have to finish on the, on the lap. So you had to go out and run the race. If you won that didn't work, you had to run the race. Um, so there are some different ways. And with this being an exhibition race, product on, and Martin Truex or whoever they have been, whether it be Kyle Larson, on top star that were the champions from, from last year, obviously were the top last year. You want them in it. So the the design of the rule, good. Um, when you talk about, though, even saying half and telling them they have to run the race, like I said, under 100% rule, that is so hard to monitor. And one of the things that popped in my head, if somebody wants to get real technical about it, when you talk about a race where you're saving fuel, are you really giving 100% then? You're, you're protecting your fuel status to make sure you can go the laps. and Or somebody that's not passing somebody but on their bumper, instead of passing them, they're pushing them, making them drive harder, and hopefully we're extending their car mistake. You know, where do you draw the line of giving 100%? So that is a really tough thing, and I know Mike is really anti that rule. And the way it's written, it, it would be tough to, you know, I, I could pick out any driver and say at some point they're not giving 100%. Um, you know, with the, with the exception, I guess, maybe Ty Dillon or Kyle Larson, like you said, <laughs> they definitely gave 100%, no doubt. Um, but unless you see that, how do you know they are? You know, at some point, again, if you're following somebody, watching their line for a lap or two to pick where then you want to try and pass them in a couple laps, is that giving 100%? It, it is so tough. So 
that rule kind of goes out the window because unless it is clearly um, blatant, you know, and I think that rule came into play when drivers weren't going out for qualifying when we were doing the group qualifying or time session, um, you know, sandbagging. We, we've seen it in the past. And again, it's, they are not breaking the rule. They are just taking advantage of the rule that's there. So can you blame them for that? No, not really. I mean, that's, uh, you know, it's a tough call to make. But in the event that this becomes a, a long-term thing, you know, if, it's, if they run this same event next year, okay, Truex is the one that's not eligible next year because he used it this year. I mean, that's one aspect to look at it. So hopefully they do find a way to, to improve upon it. Um, for this event, yeah, as a whole, I don't, whether I liked it or not, I don't have a problem with them having that option, whether I like it or not. Okay, Brian, your follow-up? Yeah, so are we go- sorry, are we going with a new topic now? or? No, this is your follow-up on the same topic. Oh, okay. Yeah, I if mean, you don't I have think any- ultimately, ultimately okay, yeah, I, just, I, I kind of agree. I'd, I'd like to see some sort of tweak to it. I kind of like Jay's idea of, okay, maybe you used it last year in the All-Star or for the – clash you don't get it this year for the clash so something like that just you know again it's an exhibition so just play around with it have some fun with it see what we can come up with um overall i think would be uh but kind of cool but i mean ultimately i think uh yeah it i think it it worked out like it needed to it it allowed trex to be in it it kept you know it gave that opportunity for if a bigger name had trouble they'd still be in you know you hate to see last year's champion larson not be in you know but I think uh, it gave that little bit of safety, but I'd also be fine if there was just no provisional at all and they just ran the guys that made it in and went with that. Okay, I'll be quick here as well. I I just think that uh, this was a one-off situation uh, and, you know, they've got a brand-new car, the next-gen car, uh, and let's face it, this was a practice session for all the drivers to get a chance to – have seat time in that car under race conditions. Uh, And, you know, it was a chance for NASCAR to see what happens under race conditions. So I really think this was a one-off thing. Um, The other thing that I I think is important to point out here, and, and I do like this part of racing as well, strategy is part of racing. So what Jane Small did was a strategy play that was, fully within the rules that NASCAR put out there. Uh, so uh, it, 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 we expect these guys to strategize how they can win. Um, this was a strategy, I think, that had a different uh, end result. But uh, I, I do think that strategy was, was all part of the decision-making process. So, And it is part of racing. And that's all I'm going to say then. And uh, I will say we've only got about nine minutes left in the rest of the uh, segment here. Oh, Andy, you've got a chance. Uh, let, let's get your follow-up comments, and then I'll say what I'm going to say. I don't really have any on this one, Sharon. I think I, I pretty well covered that, so I think we're good to move on. Okay. Now, uh, first of all, I want to do a check-in with Brian. And, Brian, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but sometimes we do go overtime. And uh, it's part of the bonus material on our podcast. But uh, if I, I, I 
ask you for one hour tonight. If you can't stay beyond the one hour, I certainly understand it. Nope, I'm good. Okay. So we're coming up. We can bring up another topic, but it is going to go into that bonus overtime area. And I might as well make the announcement now. For anybody who's tuning in for the first time tonight, uh, it's important that you understand that we're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. But we do continue recording our conversation beyond that time, and it's available on our podcast. I'll go out on Twitter to let you know that the podcast is available, and at that point you can go to the two-hour mark on the podcast, amforacing.com, and hear the rest of that conversation. Uh, And I guess for podcast listeners, they'll be able to listen straight through. But uh, for those that tuned in for the live broadcast tonight, uh, I just don't want you to think that we're leaving you up in the air uh, as we continue talking and we go off air midstream. So uh, we do that announcement at this time. So, Jay, uh, it's your turn to bring up this next hot topic. So what do you have for us? All right. Well, we've kind of kind of touched upon it, and uh, even some opinions given already. Of, I think I listed it. It says uh, I got it from Twitter. The success of the Coliseum race in L.A. could lead to events in other cities. Uh, Sharon, when you posted it today, it came from Jayski talking. About, they're already talking about the possibility of. Um, I think international has come up. Uh, yeah, it could lead to international. That's what's on Jayski. So we we've all said it was a success. And real quick here, uh, before we get into it, let me. Oh, where was Mike's thoughts on that? Which one was that on? There, there, it was on there so somewhere. Is, Mike did have. What's that? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, Mike. Mike did throw some numbers out there. Uh, they said, and this is real rough math. Uh, they said on the broadcast, you know, it cost a, over a million dollars to 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 do the track. Um, they said about 50000 in attendance. Mike threw $70 uh, per ticket out there as a number. Comes up with a 2.5, so that's $3.5 million. With the cost of the track and the purse was $3 million. That leaves you 500000 So that's a, somewhere in that range is what we're looking at. So the cost of it, the profit of it, yes, it was a good event. Can NASCAR do it again? And then us, obviously, overseas is a whole other cost level, but what we think about that and what, whether they should or how to go about it. What, what, what are the thoughts on that of it being somewhere else every year, every couple of years, or what other venues? Okay, Brian, your first step this time. You know, I, um, I love the idea of it kind of rotating around to different venues. Um, one thing I, I was thinking as I was watching is what other venues would it even fit well in? To me, looking at the Coliseum, it's, seems longer than a lot of like football type stadiums. So I don't know how big a track you can fit in other football stadiums. Um, I know in media availabilities last week, a couple drivers mentioned they'd love to see it maybe at AT AT&T stadium um, down in Dallas. Um, I know Joey Logano said um, prior to the race uh, last week during his media availability that, um, you know, if this was successful, you know, pick all this up and go put it down somewhere else. We'd love to see that happen. Um, I think it'd be great to feature different parts of the country, different big cities, different stadiums. Um, I obviously, as 
a Chicago resident, I'd love to see him come back and race inside Soldier Field like back in the day. Don't know if that even be possible, <laughs> but that would that would sure be a really cool visual down there along the lake. Obviously, couldn't do it in in February, but um, you know, so it wouldn't necessarily work for the Clash, but maybe for like an All Star race type event. Um, I do think it opens up just a lot of possibilities, you know, for, for me, I know they want to expand internationally as well, but to me, there's so many great places here in the U S to still try to try to go and race. I also wouldn't mind seeing them doing some things where they come in and they maybe race at a iconic short track. And instead of spending a million bucks to build a track, they're dumping a million bucks in to improve the track and the facilities for a long time to come. I think that could to go a long way and, and really kind of helping the short tracks out and helping out, you know, local economies and things like that as well. So I think it opens up a ton of possibility now that it, it went off very well. And I think you'll probably get a lot of other people that saw that and they're like, huh, we never thought that would work before. Well, maybe it will work. So I'm, I'm sure Ben Kennedy and NASCAR executive phones have been lighting up with calls and texts already. I, I'd love to, to hear kind of other possibilities that they've got on their mind and, and, you know, potentials. Um, but I mean, I think it, it definitely opens up a lot of different opportunities. It's just a matter of kind of, is it cost effective? Does it make sense? And, and kind of how you do it. And at the same time, and kind of talked about earlier, don't overdo it. Like they went seven road courses. I don't know if they need quite that many road courses. I don't want to see three or four stadium events. It loses the uniqueness. To me, it'd be awesome to have that be the mm-hmm. clash, have that be the all-star race. And, and that's it. They do two type things like that every year, I think would be really cool for exhibition events. So that's kind of my overall take. So, anyway. so you're, you're advocating for more domestic events versus international. I think so. I mean, I know there's the big need to go international, but like to, to me, I don't know. I, I think continue growing it here in the U.S. and and go from there. But I know there's always that big taste to to grow internationally. I mean, that's the same thing with, you know, the company that I work at. Like, that's that's our goal, too, to grow internationally and and get that market. So I think ultimately they could do that. But, again, I mean, they did that back in the day with going to Japan for an exhibition. Like, that didn't really kind of work and pan out. And if you want to talk about costs, packing up all that equipment to transport it overseas is definitely going to be a – a huge increased cost that I just don't know that you want to put on on the teams at this point. Again, without knowing the, the financials behind it, maybe maybe they will get a return on investment doing something like that. But it just seems like a pretty huge substantial cost that doesn't need to be undertaken at, at this point. Okay, Andy. You know, I'm a little torn on this one because I don't think it's a bad idea to consider – expanding outside the U.S., maybe occasionally, but I I don't think I'd want it to be a focal point. Um, NASCAR isn't the Formula One. Formula One, of course, is an international racing series that races all over the world. NASCAR is a a stock car series based in, in the United States, and I think that the sport has done well to branch outside of the southeast where it was born, Um, to all parts of the U.S., and I think we certainly have room to grow there. And and, and that's probably where the focus should be. You know, there's a lot of markets within the United States that could stand to see um, some growth, such as, you know, up where you live, up in in the Midwest, Sharon, and and maybe the Pacific Northwest. Um, So I think that I'd prefer to see growth within the United States first before we see too much of a branch out, but, you know, 
we we and, and we should mention that NASCAR has already worked on international expansion. Remember that the the Xfinity Series raced in Mexico City for a short time, as well as Montreal, and I think those were popular events. Why that series didn't continue to race there, I'm not sure. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing um, the Cup Series maybe return to Mexico or Canada, you know, in at least a limited capacity. But I don't know if I would want to see it expand much beyond that. Uh, And I think the Cup Series ran some exhibition races, at least two of them over in Japan in the late 90s. Um, So it's not like this hasn't been done before, but I, I think that we've got a lot of room for growth within the United States to focus on first before we uh, go too deep into any international racing. Um, And then I wanted to touch upon um, the use of venues. I I think that what they did at the Coliseum this weekend certainly opens doors for building new venues or potentially temporary venues. Um, But I also think that there are a lot of short tracks that could be utilized. And I think one of the things I would love to see possibly is the clash be run on a track that doesn't run the rest of the year, such as what they did out at the Coliseum, like a, like a North Wilkesboro, a Bowman Gray stadium, I think would be a fantastic place to do it, which is really the same as what we just saw this past weekend. So there's some existing racetracks that I think would put on a fantastic show for the clash um, that maybe we could visit as well in the future. But I think it, it, at the bottom line, or I should say, what the bottom line is and at the end of the day um, it would be nice to see the clash rotated to new markets and new venues um, you know and I think that there's plenty of places that they can go that exist as current everyday racetracks and there may be the potential to build new venues within existing stadiums or arenas um, but it would be fun to see the um, the clash rotated and and um, brought to new markets and new venues each year. And, you know, it could be made into a special event like what we just saw, um, you know, but I, I think if we moved in that direction, certainly it would it would help keep the, the interest and the allure of the event, the event alive while catering to different markets. It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, the Super Bowl, which the NFL, of course, has to determine its championship, which, of course, everyone knows that, but – you know, that's rotated to different venues each year. You know, why couldn't we see the Clash, you know, unofficially kick off the NASCAR season in, in different markets and different venues each year? So um, that's the direction I'd like to see it head, whether that comes to fruition or not remains to be seen. But it would be fun to see um, it would be fun to, to see the Clash rotated around and, you know, possibly come to someplace close to where we all live. Yeah, I have to agree with you guys. I'm I'm more in favor of them keeping it uh, in in the U S. as opposed to going internationally. Even though international could be Canada or Mexico, um, uh, I, I'd really see rather see them invest that money uh, domestically. Um, I I uh, think there are a lot of opportunities. Uh, we, we saw some out of the box thinking with what happened at the LA Coliseum. Uh, I think that they should continue the out-of-the-box thinking with the clash, with the all-star race, and and some of the the exhibition races that they're talking about. Uh, maybe it was a short track this time. Maybe it could be that street race. Um, may, maybe 
<laughs> you know, I don't know what other out-of-the-box thinking there could be here. But uh, I, I'd like to see them continue some out-of-the-box thinking as it relates to the clash. Uh, and, and this fit just so perfectly um, with the next-gen car, uh, with addressing the, the outcry from fans for grassroots-type racing on the short track. They wanted to see more short tracks on the schedule uh, and giving the drivers a chance to test that new car in, in racing conditions on a short track. I think it fits a bill, and it was out-of-the-box thinking. And, and that's what I think I'm looking for NASCAR to do going forward. Uh, continue that out-of-the-box thinking, make it unique, make it something that fans are going to look forward to if they tune in for nothing else than to just see what happens um, because they, they just can't believe that they could put a racetrack inside the Coliseum uh, and as a temporary track at that and make it work, and yet they did. Uh, so if they can continue that, I think that's going to be the key to this thing. Uh, and, of course, they've got to look at the return on investment, too, and I'm, I agree with Brian. If you're starting to talk about sending rights teams uh, international, that's going to make a huge dent in the cost of doing business. And so I just think it makes more sense to keep it uh, here in the U.S. Um, so that's all that I really have to add to that. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, let's start with as a fan. Yeah, I'd like to see him race somewhere different every every week, every twice a week on a, on a weeknight. Uh, I'd like to see him run. Uh, I know I've thrown it out there, the Enduro, or uh, not Enduro, but uh, a, a mixture uh, like the 24 uh, hours of Daytona. Put the trucks, the Xfinity and Cup, all on the same track at the same time. There's a lot of things as a fan I would like to see. But then you have to come back mm-hmm. and, and look at it from an intelligent aspect like Mike. Well, okay, maybe <laughs> intelligence isn't the right word. A thinker. Ah, oh, that's not right either. A realist. <laughs> no, you know, he, he's, he's got a point. There are logistics involved. There is cost. When you talk about the, the three years they did the uh, trip to Japan, okay, and for overseas, normally you're looking for, just like anything else, a multi-year commitment. Uh, there's a heavy cost with that. Uh, we just talked about the cost even doing it at L.A. Now, I like what, what Brian said of there is tracks that are already there that they could invest that same million dollars in. I know I heard a lot of people, I don't know if I'd say fans, um, but people talking about, well, what about Northbrook? Why not put money into something we already have? That's fine and dandy, but you get that same outcome. Uh, North Wilkesboro is a small town, small facility. Are you going to get the same return then of the 2.5 coming in from the track as you did in L.A.? Are you going to get the same type of exposure and new eyes, which is going to bring new uh, new sponsors, new new stuff to the sport as you do in Martinsville? And the realistic answer is no. NASCAR was there. There was a reason they had to leave. It wasn't necessarily that they had to. It was they had to. Does that mean they can't go back and have one race there? No, that's not what I'm saying. But you got to look at it realistically and also take that fan part of it aside and go, can this really work? Now, y- y'all mentioned it. This definitely opened some doors. There is no doubt about that. NASCAR is looking outside the box. The street race in Chicago, again, I'm not necessarily a fan of that. But as a one-time-off deal, uh, they, they can make it work. Daytona, uh, 
road course as well as Charlotte. They've made that work, and they can, they've improved on it. They've figured some things out. So they're, they're, the process has improved. Uh, I'm sure they're, they're finding quicker ways, smarter ways to do these things. So, yeah, those possibilities are all there. I actually am kind of in favor of the international, but I understand the cost with it. And I can't even say that Mexico or Canada are necessarily any cheaper. And I know right now, especially when it comes to Canada, we're dealing with the COVID issue real bad. Um, so that one, I, again, unfortunately, is a time period off. I'm not even going to put a date on it. Uh, I do hope they return there. I think the return uh, investment there was good. Uh, the cost wasn't as much as far as travel versus having to ship the cars on crates uh, across the ocean. So that is more doable, in my opinion. But I kind of would like to see a couple maybe in in London or in, in Europe somewhere. Um, I thought the Japan deal was great, but it ran its course. And whether they felt they didn't get the return on it like they wanted, they opted out of it. So you have to respect that. Again, we want NASCAR to survive. So as we mentioned, overextend yourself. Don't don't get in over your head. We saw that with the new tracks that popped up, the mile-and-a-half cookie cutters, as a lot of people like to call them, during the boom of the mm-hmm. 90s. They, they overextended, and now they're in a little bit of a jam. So you got you got to keep that focus of be realistic, you know, uh, and find that balance, but don't overextend yourself just because it's the current fad. Okay, Brian, follow-up? Yeah, I, I think Jay kind of hit the nail on the head for my follow-up there. Don't extend, don't overextend yourself because it is the current fad. Like, there's no need to be like, all right, great, we're going to go do a couple of these internationally or we're going to go do three or four stadium events a year. Like, part of what made that unique was that it was special, right? Like, mm-hmm. if they go back to the Coliseum again next year, of course, all of us on the show, all of our listeners will probably tune in because we'll tune in whether they race at Daytona or wherever. But, like, will it have that same spectacle? Will the same people come back? Will more people come back? I mean, honestly, I'd love to go cover it next year. Um, you know, will – will what will attendance look like so i would like to see him do it again i think a second time there just to see you know what can improve will it improve attendance will it improve viewership you know um that'd be kind of neat or if they could somehow work that into maybe they run that on a wednesday night exhibition and then they run you know auto club on on the weekend or something like that like i think it just opens up a lot of different possibilities um so I like the fact that they that this was such a success that I think it'll be considered elsewhere. Um, but again, I just don't want them to over over jump the gun and be like, okay, we're going to start doing these everywhere. I, I don't think they will, but you never know. Um, sometimes when there's such a good thing in front of you, you just overextend yourself and go for so much of that good thing. So hopefully they temper that a little bit and kind of look at it rationally and figure out, okay, where can this work and, and how can we expand upon this? And also, I'd, I'd love to to see and hear more data of, okay, you know, I don't even know how you go about tracking that, but new fans that went yesterday or new fans that tuned in, will they tune in again? Will they watch Daytona? Will they still be watching mm-hmm. midseason when you get to some of those races? Will they watch the playoffs? Or was it, you know, I heard they gave away a bunch of tickets or discounted tickets to USC students to get them to come out. Will they come back? Or was this just a fun, let's go drink and, and have a good time at the track, but – that's something we want to go do again, you know. Um, it'd be interesting to kind of see how that ebbs and flows um, and, and what comes of it. Yeah, to your point, oh, well, Andy, Andy, I don't want to skip you. Go ahead, Andy. 
your follow-up. Yeah, you know, I just think that um, this is this is an, an event that that I think was was widely popular, and I think may open some doors and uh, for expansion or or trying new venues, like I I said earlier. So I hope that that's the direction that they go. Um, it was nice to see um, NASCAR getting outside of tradition, if you will, um, something that I think a lot of fans have a tough time with sometimes. But, um, you know, I've been a fan for 21 years now, and, and I greatly enjoyed the fact that it was something new. It was a new market. It was something different, and sometimes different is good. And this is a trend I would like to see um, in the future, and, and I think that this may be the start of, uh, possibly seeing um, NASCAR, you know, move in and, and try new directions, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. So, um, you know, I'm not saying we have to revamp the, the schedule every single year and, and revamp all these racetracks. That's, you know, not mm-hmm. something that needs to be done, I don't think. But it would be fun to see them try, you know, maybe an exhibition race here and there um, in, in someplace new and, you know, maybe see more of a diverse schedule in the future, um, you know, something we talked about last year was the possibility of, you know, maybe markets coming and going off the schedule. And I think that this, this type, this type of opportunity allows them to do that and allows them to maybe go places that were previously not thought of. And, and I think that this is a, a good step in the right direction. Uh, I totally agree. I think it's a good step in the right direction. Uh, Tony Stewart during the broadcast said, this is how you promote a race. And going back to our earlier conversation about growing pains and and what we're learning uh, from the process here, uh, that's one of the things that I think they're learning is uh, the way they promoted this was fantastic. And that's what they need to do at all the tracks. They need to, uh, again, you don't want to lose that allure, but it's kind of like if you build it, they will come. If you promote it, they will come. And so as long as they uh, find that out-of-the-box thinking to make it something new and exciting and, and uh, you know, uh, Eddie Gossage was the best at this, creating some kind of drama about why you should be at that race. Um, uh, it is important to this whole process uh, of the different venues, out-of-the-box thinking, and everything else. Uh, got to look at, uh, and it's the same with the sales te- technique. You've got to find out what the need is and then fill that need. So that's what NASCAR needs to do is they continue their out-of-the-box thinking about what's the next big thing that NASCAR can do. Um, uh, is is the promotion that goes along with that and giving fans a reason to be there. So that's all I'm really going to add to it. So, Jay, you you get the final word here. Well, hopefully it's his, his first night on Hot Topics. Hopefully I don't offend Brian, but I'm going to say with, with you talking, I heard Dave Moody and Larry McReynolds. Uh, they talk <laughs> about too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Uh, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I like uh, y'all know I, I like Dave Moody. That doesn't mean I agree with him always. He wasn't in favor of Bristol for the Cup Series being a dirt race. He liked the fact that it belonged to the Truck Series. It was unique to them. He didn't want to see it come to the Cup Series. Now I disagree with that. I thought one in the Cup Series, one in the Truck. You know, still separate, uh, different venues and whatnot. So 
I was okay with it, but I understand his point. You know, that was the truck series. So, yeah, you want to keep that uniqueness. I think we all agree on that, whether it be at this venue or possibly rotating others, if logistically it makes sense. The strategy, marketing strategy, it's got to come into play there. Like I said, I'm one, I would like to see races at North Wilkesboro, but uh, one of this capacity for that exhibition like that isn't going to be as productive there as I feel it was in L.A. or can be in some other places. I know New York is one that has been kicked up. Uh, the name uh, uh, location. And I think that is a good place because that is to break that market. Whether we can get a racetrack and a race up there, don't know, but at least gets the fans engaged one time. You get them, you hook them, they're going to watch the ones at the other places. So, um, you know, and I don't want to see them tear down the past or the, uh, or the heritage either. You know, again, I felt it sucked when we lost, uh, sorry for that word, um, when we lost North Wilkesboro or even Chicagoland, which isn't even that old as far as our history, but was such a good track, you know, it, it just it comes about as part of the evolution, you know, to do something new and, and try a new market, you got to give up an old one. So finding that balance. And, and again, I think overall NASCAR does a great job. We've seen the evolution of them um, as far as we talked about trying something new. Uh, this, the past several years. I mean, we've seen some tremendous change in what they're willing to try and allow on the table to even discuss. So that's a good thing. And I think the, the crew we have leading us is looking at that, okay, yeah, we know what fans want. We know what you know would, would be really cool to do, but it's just not going to work. We have to temper it in. So keeping that in check. Okay, you guys all brought up some fantastic uh, points of view here, and uh, but I think I'm going to go ahead and close it out and not move on. I think everybody had a chance to bring up a topic. Oh, did somebody have something more to say? Oh, okay. I thought no, I that was my dog. There. That was my dog. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, anyway, I, so I he just, did. Uh, thought, he did have something to say. <laughs> There you go. Um, so uh, what we do now, Brian, is a roundtable, and I'll start out with Sandy on this so that he can, uh, and we'll go to Jay and then you, uh, as we go around the table and kind of do our sign-off uh, with, you know, what we're working on, uh, what fans can look for on the website or what tracks you're going to be going to or and your uh, Twitter handle or your your social media handles and how they can follow you. So, Andy, we'll start with you, and we'll go to Jay next. Yeah, on Twitter, it's uh, CB14Fan, and uh, certainly uh, really enjoyed this past weekend. I uh, thought it was uh, really good in a lot of ways, and thankful to be on here tonight, and also uh, just really excited about Daytona. Um, I think this is the last off weekend coming up for a while, so we're going to be busy uh, in the coming weeks. But uh, just really excited to see the season get underway. Jay? Yeah, I'm going to echo that. Uh, the excitement, I know now we have to wait that extra week, even with the Super Bowl in between. Uh, it's going to be tough uh, to wait that extra week to Daytona. But getting excited about that as well as, Local racing here for me. The dirt tracks uh, are looking to kick off here mid-month. Hopefully the weather cooperates. Right now it's still a little chilly down here, and I say that, and I know you guys are going to counter with you're a lot colder than I am, so I won't go real in-depth there. But uh, 
Magnolia Motor Speedway, home of the Black Ice, I think is looking to kick off on the 20-something, 27th, somewhere there towards the end of February with uh, Sprint Cars, uh, Jackson Motor Motor Kart Speedway. I know their first night is supposed to be the 19th. And then your Capital City Raceway uh, there, Jackson Motor Speedway, that will be March 5th for our season opener, hopefully. Again, weather permitting. And I know that same weekend... Chris is going to be busy there at Why Not Motorsports Park, House of Hook, with the Battle of the States, the Mississippi Street Stock Series uh, highlighted there for street stock fans, if you like me. So getting ready. Uh, you know, we're right on that verge of, of race season. Once that gate opens, it's going to be a flood. <laughs> and you can follow me uh, when I am at those tracks, uh, Michael Hoosman on Facebook and MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. Okay, Brian. Good deal. First of all, thanks all three of you for having me uh, back on as part of the show tonight. It was a, definitely a good time. I'm uh, looking forward to uh, being a part and contributing uh, to the show throughout the season this year. I think it'll be a, a lot of fun from Hot Topics to our, our various guests to just breaking down the race previews and the race reviews. And as far as writing, I'm writing over at uh, Auto Racing Digest, um, so you can follow them on Twitter. Check out the site. We'll have stories up there, especially heading into Daytona, probably little quiet this week because there's not much going on, and then we'll ramp up for uh, Daytona coming up. So looking forward to it. I think there's a lot to look forward to this season. I think it'll be interesting to see how the next-gen car plays out. And I think, uh, you know, Xfinity and trucks never seem to disappoint with storylines either. So looking forward to a great 2022. Okay. I'm going to do a quick uh, promo for our guest tonight. We had a fantastic guest on Tommy Mason. He's with Mad TV, but um, uh, he also started uh, the Spears TV and uh, low budget TV out on the West Coast. And he told the story of how they got started with that. Uh, and it all started with a Christmas gift. So I would really encourage everybody uh, to go back and listen to that guest segment. Uh, he was he was a lot of fun to talk to. We ran out of time, so I told him he's got to come back so we can uh, talk some more with him. I feel like we just scratched the surface uh, with the 15 minutes that we had with him uh, tonight. Uh, but uh, definitely look for that. We're in the process of putting together the guest schedule. I just uh, got the first guest <laughs> uh, that came up here uh in my uh, email so watch for more news on that and um uh definitely looking forward to this 2022 season i can't wait for daytona i love daytona uh and if i could go there every year i would do it uh but uh you know i've got to kind of pace myself here so <laughs> i'll be looking for some opportunity to go maybe go to gateway this year uh looking forward to that race and the fact that nascar is going to have all three series there i think it's going to be fantastic and uh kind of a different point of view for us uh brian to be going to gateway instead of chicagoland so uh uh, I think that'll be fun as well. So watch for, for more news on that front. Uh, I always like to thank our listeners for taking the time to tune in and our fan for racing crew for being uh, the great guys that you are and doing such a great job that you do, uh, both on the website and uh, here on fan for racing radio. I appreciate each and every one of you. So uh, with that, I think we are ready to call it a night. Uh, look for us to be back. We'll, uh, our next show back, by the way, is going to be a podcast. 
Uh, and if you guys want to mark calendar, that's Wednesday, February the 16th, for Jay and I to do the preview of all the racing at Daytona. Uh, we'll start at 11 p.m. I'm sorry, 11 a.m. Eastern, <laughs> and uh, continue with our usual format for that uh, um, podcast. And we'll have it out in time for the duels. And we'll probably do a little bit of a review of that Arca East race at New Smyrna, which has taken place the night before. So, uh, again, a lot to look forward to. And we'll look forward to uh, talking to everybody uh, when we get to our preview show there on the 16th of February. So, with that, I think we're ready to call it a night, guys. All right. Have a good night. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 